What's the Crack Podcast, proudly sponsored by JMR Property Maintenance. From rewires to extension builds, JMR have it covered. Contact them today for a free, no obligations quote. Good evening and welcome back to What's the Crack Podcast in association with the JMR Property Maintenance. I'm here again with my co-host Neil. Neil, how are you, mate? Really good, David. Really good, mate. Excited for tonight. Yeah, should be a good one. This evening, we are joined by former England under-21, Derby, Lincoln, Coventry, Southampton, Stoke and Richmond kicker centre-back Paul Williams. Paul made 199 appearances for the Sky Blues over a six-year period. He scored in the Great Escape at White Hat Lane. He scored an absolute rocket against Newcastle at Highfield Road. He played in the classic first game of the season, clashes against Chelsea, and he was a leader in the dressing room. Paul Williams, how are you, mate? Five out of six, not bad. I don't know about, <laughs> I don't know about leaving the dressing room, but yeah. Yeah, that's me. Hi, everybody. Yeah, really good to have you on, Paul. Really appreciate you giving up your time um, to sit and speak to two Cov fans that have uh, have sat and watched that goal against Newcastle. I don't know how many times. Uh, the Great Escape. I don't know how many times. Uh, it, it's, it's great to finally speak to the to the man involved. Thank you. Thank you. The leader of the dressing room, Paul, came from Richard Shaw when we spoke to him last week. He said you're an absolute leader. Yeah, that's nice, him, Shorzy. He's a, he's a good man. No, um, there's certain responsibilities that you have within the football team. And like for me, time at Coventry, it, it kind of worked. Shorzy was, um, we had lots of, to be fair, the team spirit then was was incredible. It was some of the best times I had in football, not, not only um, on the pitch, but off the pitch. Um, I mentioned lots of times that um, we used to start training, training to start maybe around half 10, but lads were in at nine o'clock, you know, having the bands and having the crap with each other. It just, it just showed how important that is in, in any any environment that you've got that the team spirit needs to, needs to prevail if, if you're going to be successful at any level. Oh, de- definitely. I think that says a lot. I wouldn't turn up to work an hour and a half early. I know that much. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope my, I, I hope my boss doesn't listen to this actually. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> Paul, with all our guests, mate, we'd like to go straight back to the start. So growing up as a kid in and around Burton, were you just playing Sunday League football and got scouted? Yeah, so um, um, my brother... Um, Gary Williams, he played for a local team, St Mary's. He's no longer with us, but um, he started me off in the football trail. So I just remember um, this yellow kit that we used to wear. He used to wear, and I used to go and watch him on a Sunday afternoon. And I thought, I love, I like this game and the yellow kit um, kind of. I know we'll talk about kit, yellow kits later on, but um, <laughs> yeah, um, being at St Mary's and 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 playing for them, I, I was ten. I was playing the under twelves, and just I stayed with them for a long time. And then got scouted maybe before I was starting to go to Derby um, and clubs in around the Midlands. In them days, it was the schoolboy forms you to sign, but I never signed any schoolboy forms. I just kept my options open. And then, um, fortunately, having played at um, St Mary's, moved to Burton Albion uh, under 16s, playing in the reserves on a Saturday. And then we played Saturday afternoons, I'd go and play in the local men's league again, which toughened me up, which is really good for me development in terms of not being fearful of, of older men. and as you know, Sunday league football has its ups and downs, doesn't it? There's a lot of fights, yeah. a lot of swearing, and you, you kind of learn learn the tricks of the trade there. Definitely. Sorry, go on. I was just saying, I haven't played Sunday league myself from 17. I was, I was never really good, but you learn a few lessons on a Sunday morning when you're getting yeah. kicked up in the air and you've got blokes that are still drunk from the night before that are calling you this, that and the other and they've got the old tricks of pinching you into the arms and all mm-hmm. sorts. Don't worry about but it. But I, I was pretty clever in those days. I, the hardest player in our team I was always mates with. I'd make him a cup of tea before the game. And <laughs> in case someone picked on me. But um, yeah, so then 
obviously been going to Derby, and I was the last um, lad to be said on a YTS at Derby. There's five of us in, our, in my year. Um, and a lad from John Simmons, he was from Coventry, a really good player, centre-forward. Um, yeah, I was the last one to get taken on in my age group. Growing up, were you a football fan? Who did you support? Was it Burton, Forest, Derby, Leicester? As you know, you've, you've just thrown, thrown a ringer in there. You know who it is, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I support, I support Nottingham Forest because of Brian Clough. Oh, what a legend. It, it, what is my, obviously, I weren't around really to, to recognise. I've only 29, but he's one of my all-time heroes. I absolutely love the bloke. He was an amazing chap. And again, fortunate at Derby, um, we, we were playing a reserve game and he came to watch. And um, you could hear him shouting from, shouting from the, um, <laughs> the director's box. And lo and behold, at half time, he comes and takes a team talk. It was amazing. He, he was manager in Nottingham Forest at the time. And like obviously Derby and Forest, the rivalry that, that, that still is, he came and gave us a team talk at half time, which I thought was amazing. Oh, that's inspirational, isn't it? For a young kid to have a man of his stature to come and have a chat. That's, that's something else. Amazing it was. Amazing. Was it a dream of yours as a kid to play for Forest? No, it, it wasn't because Derby had always been the local team. I just love Brian Clough and what he brought. You know, yeah. a lot of me supporting Nottingham Forest came from um, Sunday afternoons watching him on 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 the TV. The way he was, and the, and I, I just love the way he was honest about everything he did. And I know that honesty probably cost him a job with England, but he was. He, I yeah. just thought he what an amazing man he was. Just told it how it was, which I, I liked. Hundred percent agree. I think if he would, the FA didn't really like his. His character, to be honest, did they? That's why he never got the England job, which is a shame for English football, really. Yeah. Best manager we've ever had, I reckon. I think we've sorted out one or two egos, too, yeah. which he, he never suffered. And, and again, but um, yeah, he, when, was a, he was a good man. When you were at Derby, you, you went out to Lincoln on loan for three games. Was that kind of growing up as well, getting into the man's game in the lower leagues? No, that was a growing up. I remember <laughs> um, we had Steve Thompson, who was our captain. He was six foot two, blonde, long hair. Um, and he, he could head it and he could kick kick people. So, um, yeah, I learned a lot at, at um, Lincoln. I learned, I learned a lot of bad things too. So we, we'd be trained at Lincoln and like, you know, on my first day, I'm thinking, oh, where do we go now? Because I was in, in a bed sit at, at 17 by myself, wet behind the ears. And that's how I learned how to go and play pool and darts at a local pub with uh, the senior pros who who... Oh, the manager was taking, taking me under their wing. So um, Graham Bressington, John Schofield, we used to, they, they took me to the pub in the afternoon and then um, I learned how to play darts and pool. Did they, did they teach you the uh, so-called dark arts of uh, football as well uh, at that time, Paul? Yeah, is this going out to any kids? No, no, no. You, <laughs> no, 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 no. This is definitely not show. I'm only joking. No, no, no. They were, they were good and we had... Um, Obviously, I knew Mark Wallington. He was our um, second choice keeper to Peter Shilton at Derby, and he had gone and played there. And he, he's in there. I've been fortunate, and I, and I probably say this throughout throughout this um, podcast that I, I meet. I'm fortunate to meet a lot of amazing people. And um, Mark Wallington was a gentleman. He was. He was really good. Really good bloke. So you come back from Lincoln. Is that when you first break into the Derby first team around that sort of point? Yeah, so I come back and started um, training regular with the first team, and um, again having a really good um, upbringing with Arthur Cox. He he was um, a disciplinarian, but a father figure for me. He was more than a manager a lot of the time through my development. Um, we always would always um, 
have a conversation in the morning, what I've done at the weekend, if I'd sat in and watched football, or or like you would say, oh, you've been you've been down the the pink parrot in um <laughs> Derby nightclub. So no, he was he was an excellent man, and he he taught me quite a lot about football, about being disciplined and 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 not taking this time for granted that you've got in the game. So yeah, I um to answer your question, I I started training with the first team, and I remember being named sub against Crystal Palace away, and that's when I managed to come on for the last. I think twenty minutes, and we um, we drew the game, and that was that was my first debut in, in the first in the old Premier League first division. Well, what was it like crazy. as a kid uh, at the baseball ground? It's a proper old old fashioned electric stadium. At night times, a lot of games were won before before the atmosphere at, at the baseball ground and the pop side was 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 electric. It was it was it was. Um, my first experience, it, it, it took me a while to get used to it, but it, it was like all your dreams come true, true playing under lights, playing in, in, the, um, in the best league, the Premier League, the old Premier League, sorry. Um, like all your dreams have come true in a night, a night. The atmosphere was like, you know, hairs on your back. Very similar to Highfield Road, an old stadium. Mm. Night game had a different feel to it, which was really good. The baseball ground, the pitch wasn't the best. Not not the the carpets that we play on now, but no, it, it was it, you had a lot of um, yeah, a lot of challenges in terms of um, being fit and make sure your legs were, legs were relaxed for the game because once you come off it, you were you were shattered with all the mud you had on your boots. Yeah, I, I bet it's, it's one of those grounds that is spoken about quite a lot by you know um, fans of a certain age about how it was a horrible place to go as an away team. Do you, do you reckon it was one of those grounds that kind of it, it literally was the twelfth man for you boys? Sorry, sorry. Um, it, it was it was um, a fantastic ground. It was it, like like insane. Um, sorry, ask that question again. You can cut, cut again. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll cut that and we'll get to it again. Um, so the baseball ground, a, a good old-fashioned stadium that that people kind of revered of a certain generation. Do you think that was the proverbial twelfth man uh, for you guys at that time that really kind of gave you that edge over tight games? Yeah, uh, I totally agree. Um, the atmosphere, especially um, at the baseball ground, and it all, it all started in the middle of a in the middle of a housing estate. You know, you go down down at um, Shaftesbury Crescent, it was called. You go down the road, and it, the stadium would open up right in front of you. You know, and you'd get off the bus and there'd be a lot of fans walking the street. And even my time there, you know, you look back at when Brian Clough was there and Peter Taylor, the, the same doors that they used to go, they'd go in and the cameras were chasing was, was still there. And on match day, it was like bedlam around, around the ground, a really good atmosphere. And it was intimidating for away teams. It was. It was a, it was a um, fantastic stadium. When you were at Derby, is that when you broke into the England under-21 setup? Yeah, I'm just going to go back to the stadium too, because I know that stadium. Because when we were when we were youth team, we used to paint it and we used to run up and down it on a Monday morning. So I know I know the ins and outs of that that stadium. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to go back to your question now. Yeah, again, um, I was I was playing in midfield, and I was fortunate again um, to score a lot of goals for Derby one season. And and I don't mind admitting a lot of them were penalties. And you know you're getting a bit. People are talking about about you doing well. And I got a, the manager Arthur Cox spoke to me and told me that I'd, I'd got a call up to the 21s, which was um, again something I'd never dreamt of. You know, playing games and representing your country was was something totally different for me. 
I know it wasn't the senior team, but it, it was it was twenty one. It meant a lot, and and yeah. going there, and the squad that we had was was you know it, at the first you go there and kind of pinch yourself in terms of the names that we had in our squad. It, it was it was it was a fantastic squad. So you mentioned there about the goals you scored for Derby in doing our research for tonight. I seen you score twenty six goals for Derby, and that really surprised me. Um, and then <laughs> I kind of seen that you, you played a lot further forward to start with. Uh, including a hat trick in one game. Is, is that your only career hat trick? Was it against um, Watford? Um, no, um, I, I got two hat tricks. In fact, um, so yeah. So the old first division, obviously, like the Premier League. Now we played um, Southampton towards the end of the season, and I managed to score um, a hat trick that day um, past Tim Flowers. Um, oh, nice! And going back to our, our on the twenty-one days, like we had Alan Shearer was in our team. Um, Paul Wer- Paul Warhurst, who was doing really well, David James, we had a really good team, and um, we played Southampton just before we were supposed to meet up with the 21s, and I managed to score a hat trick against Southampton. So um, Alan Shearer weren't very happy with me. <laughs> I, I bet you were. And to be fair, I bet Tim weren't very happy with you either. To be no, fair, no. past him. Um, th- th- that's the finish up because obviously we know that you'd pop up with the odd goal uh, later on in your career. But when I seen the number at 26, it really t- it took me back. Um, so your first few games and your first couple of seasons, you were a midfielder. How did the move come for you to, to kind of fall back into the pitch and become the centre-half that we all know and recognise you for? Well, it, it goes back. So, uh, again, I was talking about um, the Crystal Palace game. I, I came on at right wing. I made my debut okay. at, at right wing at, at, at Derby against Arsenal. My full debut at the baseball ground. Um, so I played there, and then I got moved to the um, centre midfield. And again, fortunate to play with um, some really good players: Mark Wright, Pete Shilton, George Williams, who who was like my general in midfield, and, and allow me to go and run around all over the place while he was disciplined enough to to tackle people and pass it, which which was great for me. Um, yeah, so he allowed me to get in the box and, and get on the end of stuff and score a few goals. So, um, yeah, that was my midfield days. And then I think down what we we get the team had been trans, trans um, a team had been changed. So Arthur Cox, we had we had um, the likes of Dean Saunders, Mick Hartford, Peter Shilton, Mark Wright, Ted McMinn, and a, a really good, a good squad. And then we changed um, Rob Maxwell came. And we kind of changed our our journey and we went for younger players Tommy Johnson Paul Kitson Mark Pembridge they all came started coming into the team and we brought down Wassell Craig Short and they were our, our solid partnership at the back Down Wassell and um, Craig Short Down Wassell got injured Roy McFarland took over and then he he played at centre-back for the game against um, Crystal Palace again ironically <laughs> and I never moved from there since I played, I played a couple of games for um, commentary in midfield, but um, no, I played centre back from that day on, and um, had a really good le- relationship and, and playing with with Craig Shaw again. He was like LeBron, and, and I, I I won't even say I was a brains, but I just kind of sweep up behind him really. <laughs> um, the, the the first season at centre half is that the season you got to the playoff final? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was. We had a really good team, and um, obviously the build up to that season was a Millwall game. Which again, uh, everyone knows how that ended up in terms of um, that night. And then we played Leicester in the final. And again, um, I think I play I play a, um, a big part in, in in the result. Actually, Tommy scored. And then um, I remember um, being on the Wembley pitch, and it was it was 
dry and different to anything that I'd, I'd ever played on. And again, along 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 being nervous and playing at, at the national stadium was was a massive day for a boy who just come come out of Burton on Trent. And um, I remember that Walsh had it and the ball dipped, and I was expecting a bigger bounce, and it, and it was, and it didn't. It bounced. It bounced. It didn't bounce as hard as I thought of it. I went to head it, and it went into the net, and we got beat two one that day. And again, wow. that that was um, heartbreaking. Being a local lad, also. Did it take yeah. a while to get over? Yeah, I remember the next day um, going in my car and I was going to go into, I lived just outside um, Derby, just between Derby and Burton at the time. And I remember driving out my drive and it was just like a day's, I nearly crashed my car um, really bad. And I just turned around and went back in the house. I couldn't, I couldn't focus. I couldn't, couldn't, um, I was, I just wasn't now, I was like a shadow of who I was. I just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't. So it took a, quite a bit of time. I think it even lasted into a bit of pre-season in terms of um, getting your head right. To go back, go back to work. It, it, it was devastating. It was because you know you've been there a childhood club and thinking that like this is a chance for them to get back into the Premier League, and, and it had all gone wrong on the day. Yeah, I can imagine that being uh, really tough to take. And, and you had a really good side as well. You, you know, you touched on the, the Millwall game, and I think that the famous quote uh, that came out afterwards from, was from the Millwall chairman saying the players were a recipe of violence, uh, which I, I think is quite ironic coming from a Millwall chairman. Um, <laughs> but yeah. you, you look at the side that, that played in that final, you know, Gary Charles, Craig Short, yourself, Mark Pembridge, Marco Gabbiadini. Did, did, you, did you guys going into that final think, you know, th- th- this is definitely our chance, especially after what had gone on in, in, the, in the previous round? Um, no, really, because Leicester were a formidable side. You know, yeah. they, they, they were a decent side themselves. And Walshie and, um, and Matty Elliott were, were really two big centre-backs that, that you know... Um, could dominate a lot of a lot of um, centre forwards in in that league, and I just think that they had they had quality all over. They, they were they were um, they were in more of a position and, and more experienced in, in, on the day than us. I thought at the time we were going into it thinking you know um, not understanding, not knowing what we were going to be faced with. I think they they were more streetwise than us on the day, and obviously got the, the result that they wanted. Yeah, de- definitely. So looking into it now, Paul, you played 160 times for Derby. How did you hear about the move to Cov? It was big Ronnie signed you at Cov, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> no, so, so again, um, again, something that I really regret, the way I, way I left Derby, was that obviously like the names you just mentioned had all gone to the Premier League. Shorty, Tommy and Gary Charles. And I thought, and just me being me, that's where I wanted to play. That's where I wanted to go and test myself. Yeah, of course. And, um, um, and again, I'm, I'm a young, I won't say too young, I think I'm about 20, 22, 23. And I'm, I'm at a stage where I want to go and play in the league. And I should have been more, had more decorum and of the way I left. But I, I just said, I just want to leave now. I want to go and try try and apply my trade. And it wasn't about money. It wasn't about, because I got offered contracts at Derby um, to stay. And it just wasn't about, I just wanted to go and play in, in the Premier League because that's what you, you look on, you turn on the TV, you look, turn on the radio. That's all people were talking about was the Premier yeah, League. Definitely. And I wanted to be part of that. So um, I, ca- I kind of um, pulled out all the stops to go. So there was a few clubs I spoke to in that time. And then I remember getting a phone call. I, think, I can't remember the chairman's name now, to, to go and um, speak to Coventry. And then <laughs> I get a phone call on me. The, um, my mobile and it's relaxing at the other end saying oh, can, I, can I meet him at the Belfry um, a few hours later and I went there and from that moment meeting him 
I was convinced that that, that it's going to be the best place for me. And again, I keep saying it's fortunate to to have him as a, and call him a friend. Like I spoke to him maybe two days ago, um, making me laugh, still still full of laughter, and and a really great man. Well, Doctor taught me about um, discipline. Ron taught me taught ta- told me about team spirit and the importance of, of getting the best out of each, each individual. And he'd, he'd you'd see that every every single day. He he was about he was he was life and soul of any party. You could make you laugh. But at the side of him, where you know if things weren't weren't um, going well in training, I, we we had at writing. Have you been to writing? Yeah. Training. So the old writing, we used to have a lot of trees at the back before it all got sold off. So we'd be trained on one pitch and Ron actually would shout, Willow, I can see some trees. And that meant that so far, pull your finger out, we'd be running around them trees, which were about <laughs> 500 metres away and back and then join back in training. So yeah, he, 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 had, a, he had another side in, but he was a, he, he, he had the knack of getting the best out, guests out of people. Um, he did a good job at Cobb Club, to be fair, Big Ron did. Yeah, he brought some really good people. Kevin Richardson, really good player. Obviously, yeah. um, Gordon Strachan, he brought in. He, he, Ron kind of knew what was required f- for for us at a time. And, and like I say, got John Solarco, another another player he brought in. Richard Shaw, obviously. Yeah. Shaw's, he, he he knew what was required. And, and, and I say um, he did a really good job for us. Really good job. So when you first walk into that dressing room, uh, you know, you've got some... Some big figures in there, some big characters, big Steve Grizovich, mm-hmm. uh, like say Kevin Richardson, Dion Dublin, uh, Noel Whelan. How, how was that? You know, obviously it's your first time properly, permanently away from Derby. You, you obviously you've had to learn at Lincoln, but this is this is something brand new. Is, is that intimidating, or is that where you, you know you kind of rubbing your hands together, saying this is what I signed up for, this is what I want? No, yeah, it was it was it's a bit of both actually because it was something that I really wanted to do. But like you walk in in the change room and you see Dion Dublin and you see Oggy, they used to sit next to each other in the change room. You kind of think, yeah, this is this is these are the players that I want to be playing with. I want to learn off. I want to know. And then, and no respect, you got like, um, um, obviously I I went and sat next to Boosty, and obviously I, yeah. I moved. I lived in Solihull, and David Burrows was there too. Brian Burrows, yeah, yeah. Ali Pickering, Jenks, John Williams. Peter and Love. So we had we had a, um, it's a transitional change room. Dave Rennie, where I think the old the old players that um, Ron inherited, he was going to bring some some new blood in. Yeah, but like you yeah. say, Ali Ali Pickering, one of the funniest men in football. Ali Pickering, Dave Boost is a lifelong friend for me. One of my best mates, Dave Boost. He's he's an amazing not not because what happened to him. He's just an amazing man. Again, Fortunate that, like, I've known him for this while, and I can actually say that he he's one of my best friends. But I could, I could count on him for for anything in this world. Um, we like, my family knows his family really really well. But um, yeah, so we had a, we had a transitional change room, and um, Ron was was getting new players in to make sure that we weren't weren't in around the relegation area, and um, it was a transitional period. So. Again, but but beyond all that was was Gordon Strachan who who, who played a, a big um, part in sorting the dressing room out, making sure that, that everyone was was rowing in the, in the right direction. How was that first season, Paul? Because obviously we stayed up on goal difference. Was there any times you thought I'm going straight back to to the Division Two here? No, funny enough, it, it never it never. Um, Played in our minds, and no, we knew it was going to be tough. But like we, we had enough belief in ourselves, and 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 everything that it'll turn out right. And again, um, 
another skill of Ron Atkinson was, was was he was taking all the pressure away from us. It was it was something that we just had to go out and play. And um, fortunately enough, like you say, goal difference. I know it was really tight, but it, it was, I think that was um, a really good fee for us. But like in terms of pressure, we we never really saw that. He made sure we turned up training. As long as you give your best, then it's going to work out right. Um, you you mentioned Dave Bush then. Um, were you playing the day he, he suffered his injury? Yeah. 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 Um, obviously, we remember it as fans, and obviously it's horrible what happened. How much of an effect did that have on the dressing room in the following weeks? You know, a, a big character like Dave and someone who was quite well-respected in, in, in football in general um, and probably one of the most horrific injuries that's possibly happened on a football pitch. Yeah, it is is a, um, a horrible time because, like, the, the the score of the game was irrelevant. I don't even know know what the final score was that day. Like, I I don't remember much about that day at Old Trafford. All I remember is um, Boosty and the and and the scream and 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 even like you know um, ten minutes after he's, he's gone, they're washing blood off the pitch. Which, which, and and I was close to Dave. I, I we wow. we travelled together to, to to the game and that to the game, but obviously to, to the hotel and and where we stayed. And it, it was it was sad because he he was a um, a gentle giant and a changing. Boosie was friends with everybody, and, and like you, you start asking questions, why has it happened to him? Because yeah. he, he obviously came to the game late too, and he he, he was a, he was he was humble in in everything he did, and. Uh, yeah, it was it was sad and it didn't it didn't affect because everyone everyone loved Boost and, and didn't understand why it had happened to him. Yeah, definitely, and he's he's a legend still in Coventry now. Um, he he does all the stuff for the community, which I think from from the club's point of view, I think it's fantastic that they kept him around. Um, uh, and also the work that he's put in is just phenomenal. So, um, yeah, I'd agree with you. I think he does a good job first and foremost, and I think if he didn't, then he wouldn't be working for Coventry. He's he's a he's a character and and. You know, everyone gravitates to Boosie. So, um, yeah, he's doing a great job. Great job. Yeah, lovely chap. So, the next season is um, is when, again, you mentioned about transitions. That's where the likes of Gary McAllister come in, Darren Huckabee, Gary Breen. Um, how's that when someone like Gary McAllister walks in the changing room? You know, obviously, yes, he's, he's won the first division at Leeds. He's a Scotland international. Yeah, so we remember um, we were at Warwick University training, and uh, obviously they had Sky Sport. And like, you know, a couple of days before, probably on a Monday, it says, "Oh, Coventry link with Guy McCarthy," and we're saying, "Oh, yeah, it's just paper talk." Where are we? And then by the Thursday, Gordon Stratton kept everything close to his chest. By Thursday, he, he was at Warwick University training with us, and again, it kind of sent a message out to to all of us that, that um, and Guy wouldn't 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 suffer falls or. Or accept mediocrity. So again, training went up another level, and, and people had to had to reach that standard. Or, or you know, um, between Gordon Tracker would, would would soon find you out and make sure that you you were you were fine and all cylinders. So again, it was a massive sign in terms of um, commitment from the club, and also for us as players to, to be better. And, and we're trying to move move in the right direction. Definitely. Um... How how key were him and the likes of Theon Dublin um, in, especially towards the end of the season when you know the the relegation battle was happening. You know we all kind of know what we're coming to in a minute, but results aren't going our way. You, you know you're, scra- you're scrapping down the bottom. Uh, how are people like him and Theon in the changing room kind of getting around players to make sure that they're still performing? 
No, I, I think um, the dressing room kind of ran itself. Um, we were we were um, our own biggest critics at times, and and whether rightly or wrongly, in those days things things were sorted out in the change room. Whenever people didn't pull their weight, then then you know you'd get told after training you need to do more because it was just so important, not just to um, the playing staff, but like the likes of the kit man Andy Harvey again, a really good man. You know, they, they're the people around us who'd be losing their jobs if if the worst came to worst. So again, we'd we'd, we'd daily have arguments or people wanting wanting the standard to be better so um it, it wasn't um one or two individuals that did it i think as a collective as a group we, we all we all had that um mentality that we had to be better and also also um in terms of dion dion was a, a fantastic captain gamma cursor really really like the careers um speak for themselves really but again fortunately two people i can i can um count on as friends and, and name as friends like were, were fantastic for the club Dion was was like a pylon for, for us all you know some uh, yeah. uh, and um McAllister like was a, was a standard bear that you know this is the standard we need to get to so um yeah really two influential players on the dressing room just to go back to the, the I think it was the first season you were actually at the club pool where Big Ron was still here Blackburn turned up at Hardfield Road as current champions and we batter on 5-0 what was that like hmm. Yeah, again, um, it's one of those days where you know you you just know it's going to go your way. For some, there's no reason, there's no chemistry, no no physics behind behind it. But you just felt like we had a really good um, few days in training. Just thought we were, we were all on song that day, and it, again, it was a fantastic result, um, saying that we could we could beat the champions um, that much by that many goals. Yeah, uh, it's still a day that's spoke about quite highly between commentary fans, isn't it, David? Yeah, big time. Um, yeah. Just before we get to the great escape at Spurs, which I know everyone uh, is going to talk to you about, there's one other incident happened that season, which is Chelsea uh, at home. Uh, uh, where they where they rock up and go, ah, oh, forgot you got boys wear blue. Uh, what are we going to do? Um, how how does that happen in the change room? Like, obviously, you you're going through your pre-match sort of routine that you normally do. What what's going on? <laughs> no, it, it was so you you only hear about one or two stuff, don't you? That that, that um, you're in your change room and you come out and someone says, "Oh well, no, they're playing in our kit," and we're saying, "Oh no, it's not it's not happening. It's a, it's a joke. Something's happening." And then lo and behold, um, we walk out and they've got our. <laughs> Fair enough, they could wait if they wanted to. The checker, the checker blue and red um, yeah. top yeah. with their own shorts on and socks on, which, 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 again, um, within the dressing room was, was a good, good tear up for us, really, that, you know, they, they, they hadn't even considered what, what colour kit we were playing in. So they're just going to turn up in town. Everyone's come to watch them. So again, it was something that was, we used to our advantage at the start of the game and, and wanted to make sure that they knew they were going to be in for a game rather than just strolling up and um, walking away with the three points. Definitely, I know when we spoke to Richard, uh, Richard Shaw, we mentioned that there's a there's a great picture of him. Um, I think he was a little bit late on Zola um, and kind of mm. put him, put him a few foot in the air. <laughs> uh, I, and I said, was that just to sort of um, teach him a little bit of respect, sort of thing? Because obviously, for, for me as a Cov fan, I don't think they shown any respect to us that day. One, like you say, they don't know what colour we wear, so how can they turn up? It's really unprofessional. If they if they don't care about what what kit they're wearing, they they surely haven't done any sort of work on what shape you guys are going to be playing or what sort of system and anything like that. It, it, it screams arrogance to me 
that they yeah, just wanted to that, drop up and play. Yeah, I agree. Something that we, we turned around in the change room and used to our advantage. And, and Shores was right. I think it was just about we had the mentality that we need to make sure that we're going to be in a game today. And, and like, you know, any tackle that, that we had the chance and I was afraid of using that day to leave a few, leave a bit on somebody. Then we did. <laughs> well, you look at look at their um, their team that day. Um, Zola, um, Hullet, all those all those players. It, it just screamed. You know, all we need to do is just turn up today, and then we can we can just we can run about for ninety minutes, and we'll come back with three points, which wasn't the case. Talking of disrespect, how did you feel at the end of the game when Frank Leboeuf stamped on the shirt? Yeah, it it was it, it was something that. You kind you kind of um, knew that it was going to happen because it, it was it was it was the, the, the way the the day was going for them that they you know they yeah. just need to turn up and they were going to get the point. So um, the last bit of disrespect was to was to throw on the shirt again, which I, I think was it was was not needed. But you know everyone's different and, and show their aggression or their their power in a different way. Uh, any words in the tunnel afterwards? Obviously, I, you don't need to go into too much detail, but. Did anyone kind of say? No, there was there was was not there was not much room in the tunnel for for anything. I think it was it was packed with people pushing and and pushing people into the way changing rather than rather than yeah. um, both teams coming together. But it, it wasn't it wasn't a model um, getting off the pitch kind of afternoon evening. Sorry. So I think now we, we've got to go on to the, to the great escape. Um, obviously, you scored in the game, but but before we actually go into the game properly. Um, as fans, we can all say we thought we'd stay up. I don't think any of us really did because that much had to had to go right for us. How did how was it in the dressing room? Did you think we could actually stay up, or was it just kind of I don't we don't fancy this? No, it wasn't. It wasn't actually. We, we again, like Gordon Stratton did an amazing job um, through the week. It was just to focus on what we can control, and we can if we if we it was no use us losing against Tottenham. And then worrying about that, we, we had to go out there having the mentality to actually win the game. And training was was, I think, surprisingly for the pressure that was on the club that week was was really really good. And obviously playing on a Sunday, then um, I just think if we didn't have the team spirit that we had at the time, I think um, other other teams would have, would have crumbled under it because you you go into the game and then you kick off fifteen minutes late than everyone else. And like you know, we think bloody hell, everything's going, everything's going against us here now. You know, everything's everything's like set for us to go down. And then um, we start the game, and obviously we get the goals. And, and throughout the game, it's it's because you're only you're only waiting for Middlesbrough to score a goal, aren't you? And then yeah. we we could be could be in trouble. So you know, you're on tender hooks, and also the fact that we've got one goal between us and and um, Tottenham. Who again, we're giving we're trying that day, trying to um, win the game. And obviously, like coming coming off the pitch, we didn't get off the pitch. But like when the final whistle was blowing, we knew we stayed up. Again, you can win FA Cups and that. But it was it was it was in a special moment that was. And, and I, I've got to commend. I've got sorry. I've got to commend the fans that day. They 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 gave us belief too. They were singing all the way through. You know, and something that um, it will stay with me for a long time because you, you could get in that situation, and a lot a lot of fans will be. Um, ebbing and flowing in terms of their support, but but from from the second we went out for our warm, they never stopped. So obviously we know the goal you scored, great volley, um, just round the corner from the, from the defender. Um, muted celebrations for yours and Dion's goal. Is that purely because you didn't want to get too carried away with what was going on elsewhere? It was just let, let, let's just get the game done and then we can worry about that. For me, and I don't know what what Dion's thoughts was. It it, it was just that um, 
didn't didn't want the rest of the team to relax for that split second and think that we'd done it. So yeah. we know um, at, at the forefront of my mind was we've got a job to do here, regardless of, of who scored or whatever scored or what the score. We still got a job to do because it was pretty early on in the game still. So again, because you, you you can look at the games that, that the team scores and they go down your then and, and see the goal straight away. So it's something that, that I was I was kind of mindful of that. Um, just keep our feet on the floor, and and if you celebrate and run around with your hands up in the air, that that taxes could cost us a game and cost us um, being relegated. So I was pretty conscious of of how to celebrate that that day. Definitely, um, and and obviously with the delay, you guys knew. Bef- did, well, I say you guys knew. Did you know um, in that last fifteen twenty minutes that if things stayed the same, you were safe? No, because we couldn't think like that. We couldn't. We 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 were we had enough on our hands trying to trying to get another goal, or I mean that that happy medium between getting another goal and not being too exposed at the back really. So um, I don't think that crossed any of our minds. I just thought that we we had to win the game, manage manage the game because again I spoke about earlier. It it was a goal away from it could change, so it wasn't even in our hands. But yeah. Once once um, they had played, then I think the pressure kind of ramped up a bit more because it, it was down to us then, wasn't it? And like no one wanted to be be the cause of us us actually going down on on, on that day. So again, all the players that played that day, um, you can only only we we stood shoulder to shoulder on around each other that day, and it was it was a special moment. I've what I've watched the game back hundreds of times on YouTube, and I think one player who didn't get enough credit was how good Oggy was in the last twenty minutes. Unbelievable saves. Yeah, fan, and no, and and like I, I get asked about that day, and and that's something that that, that I I kind of try and mention that that he he was he was he was unbelievable, and Oggy, you get to you get to stage where where you think oh, he's just not going to get beat today, he's just not he's just not going to let it happen, and Mr. Comchi himself saved us that day with 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 a tremendous performance. He was again. I watched the highlights again earlier just to refresh my memory, and I think there's a save from Paul McVeigh right at the end. Where for for everything, I'm watching it now, like twenty odd years later, and I'm still thinking it's going to go in. Yeah, um, yeah. he yeah. just makes that save, and you just think, "Wow!" Like an unbelievable performance. Um, a few beers drank that night with the pool. Just about to say that. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was no, not a few. There was a lot. There was lots. There was lots. No, and deservedly so, I think. Well, so, yeah. like, so, so um, at the. At the start of the week, you know, you could have had, it could have been the most horrendous week in your footballing career. And then you go to the other end of the spectrum where, you know, you get to fight another day in the Premier League. It's, it's an amazing feeling. Like I say, like people win cups and that. But for, for me, that, that, was, that was a special day and a special night too. Is that still up there with one of your greatest achievements in football? Yeah, I think so. I, I just... And, and people, people probably find that funny in terms of not winning anything. But the fact that, that um, the build up to it, the season we had, and the build up to last week, and like you know, the, the people talk about the highs and lows of football. They they were literally sliding door moments for us at that, at, at that season. You know, yeah. all the hard work that you'd put in, and maybe lost a few games and won a few games was coming was going to culminate into to one game. And the fact that you go into it, and I think apart from if you didn't have a really good team spirit or or take or pulling each other through it. You, you your mindset could be could be that we're going to stay go down and, and you not play to your potential on the day. But again, we managed to do that. And, and again, only only the the, um, the proofs in the pudding is having having won the game and stayed up. Just want to touch on another point, Paul. We, we've got on a, at the minute we're on a high talking about the great escape. 
going back to a bit of a low point as a cough fan, did you play at Bramwell Lane in the FA Cup when we lost on penalties? No, I was sub. And I, I was moaning at Gordon Strachan to put me on to take a penalty. Moaning at him, I remember. Yeah, because you, you mentioned that. You were good, good at penalties, weren't you? Yeah. 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 I was begging him to. But obviously, obviously again, that would have been that would have been a fantastic um, achievement again. But again, that's that sliding doors moment, isn't it? That where yeah. um, we didn't manage to um, take a penalty. And again, pressure pressure plays a massive point part. So the next season was quite a turnaround, finishing 11th. Um, but I think a lot of that is some of the players that came in the door as well. The likes of George Botang, um, Roland Nilsson, um, Philip Clement, um, and, <laughs> and, and, and and one bloke who is, is, is a bit of Marmite with Cov fans because we love him for what he did at Villa Park, but for some reason he gets a bit of a bad rep. Moldovan, the, the, the Romanian. What, what was he like? He was, he was a good player, you know. It was. I don't. I don't think we saw the best of him. But like, it, it, and it was tough for him because he'd come obviously from a different country and and um, and it, it took his time to fit in. But he he was a good. He was a, he was a good striker. He could finish. He could score goals. And whether the language barrier, it's it's a lot. It can be a lonely place, you yeah. know. And we had a we had a lively dressing room at the time, and we did embrace him into the changing. But like, if you don't get the get the jokes, you don't get the calls, you don't understand it. It's tough yeah. to fit in. And obviously, like. Um, I think that played a part, but um, Viral Moldovan was a very, very good player. Very good player. He'll always be a legend here just for the goal at Villa Park, to be honest. Yeah, that's enough for me. That's yeah, enough. yeah, literally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but again, we mentioned two other players that came in. George Botank, um, who again, I, I don't think any City fans have ever got a bad word to say about George. He's my um, favourite ever player. I absolutely love the bloke. Yeah, George Botank. He... he, he, he he was strong as anything. He could pass it. He could play. And George would never give up. Even in training, George George wouldn't give up. And and he, he did himself to the Coventry fans because he gave all every single game. George he did yeah. towards the end. I, I, yeah. I think I think he endeared himself till he went and signed for Villa. But apart from that, I, I, I still yeah. love him now. Even even then, I, I think I still forgive him because he was just phenomenal when he played for us. I thought it's same it as was. Dion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you can't you can't talk about signs if you don't mention the two Moroccans. Oh, well, mate, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll come on to them. I, I was just going to touch on one last player beforehand, and that was the Rolls Royce that was Roland Nilsson. Uh, oh wow! What a player! What a player! You know when you say footballers don't have everything, he did. He had the looks, the body, <laughs> he could play. Roland, like for me, and that time again was fantastic, not just only for his playing ability, but the way he looked after himself and the way he, he would he would speak to you and, and would have no qualms about, you know, you need to be better at this, you need to do this. And and he was a role model for, for a lot of us. And even the young lads at the club, immaculate hairstyle, you know, not, not a hair out of place playing 90 minutes. And I've not seen, I had not seen anyone giving the run around. I remember him marking Ryan Giggs at the game, at, um, at many at a few Coventry games that he played, but he, he was... He was a Rolls Royce. He was. He got better with age. Oh, oh, my first away game uh, was at, funnily enough, at Derby at Pride Park. Uh, we drew nil nil last game of the. I think it was the last game of the season, um, and it was his first game back after his horrible injury that he got. Um, was yeah, it yeah. a And yeah. I, I'll, I'll never forget the ovation he got from the fans that day, and not just the Coventry fans, the Derby fans as well. Yeah. Uh, I think that just kind of says a lot about how he was as a footballer. Uh, yeah, that he, he was, he was quite revered, um, all, all around. But was no, he yeah, best mates yeah. with with Magnus? Was he both being Swedish? 
I wouldn't have said best to mates, but, but he's obviously <laughs> spoke the same language. <laughs> it obviously helps. Um, <laughs> just so the next season, before before we touch on the Magic Moroccans, there's, there's one more signing that baffles, I think, most football fans to this day, rather than club fans. Robert Yarnick. Yeah, never saw him. What, what was that about? <laughs> Again, he was one of them. Like, it, it was mad. It, it was, um, he was in this link with lots of teams in the summer. And then, lo and behold, he's, he's um, signed for Coventry. And we were, we were all waiting, saying, well, well this, is, this, is, this is put the cat amongst the biggins in the, in the Premier League now. We sign, we sign players like that. And then, lo and behold, we don't see him. And next minute on the ticker tacker, he signed for Real Madrid. <laughs> maybe, maybe he'd got his, um, his airline or, or his, his Atlas wrong and I thought Coventry was in the middle of the Bernabeu. <laughs> was there a bit of banter fly around the change rooms about that? Was that? Yeah, lots, lots, of, lots of them, lots of, lots of um, bands. Are probably a lot, lot that I can't say on air right now. But no, he was. It was. But it, 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 to be fair, it was just, it's just a strange time, really, really, really strange time being with someone of that that caliber. That, that that season is the season. Dublin Huckabee are just absolutely unplayable. Oh. How good were they? I mean, to Markham and and. and and run around in training was was enough, but you kind of knew what what um, opposition centre backs were up for. They they were they were unbelievable, and at least a typical big man, small man. But hookers was unpredictable, even in training. You wouldn't know what he was going to do. So how how um, opposition centre backs knew they haven't got a clue. And Dion, through my time at Coventry, was unplayable. I, I would literally say he was unplayable because you you probably um, see see his stature that he's, he's a big man and good in the air. Dion's good in the air, but like, and I know this gets flipped around, but Dion is is very talented with his feet, very talented with his feet, and um, showed that. So for me, the, the pair coming together was was un, unplayable. Yeah, definitely. For me, growing up, I'm I'm 32. Huckabee and Dublin were just just gods in in my eyes. Exactly um, the same as me. Like, even now, if 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 I were to bump into Darren now, I think he'd have to get a restraining order just because he is a <laughs> hero. It is nah, a hero. Like, one of them score sheets every week. One of them were, were were scoring two two once a week. One didn't score, then the other one would get him. It, it was it was fantastic times, and like I picture him a lot of them. A lot of the good times at um, Hartfield Road, where Hawkers and Dion ran ran teams ragged. I, I, I'm completely forgetting about the, the, the third one of, of the trio, Noel Whelan, uh, yeah. who, who again yeah. probably should have went on and, and had multiple caps for England, in, in my opinion. Um, how good was he? No, Noel was one of those players that that you know. Um, no disrespect was that Cobb was a stepping stone for us. He should yeah. have been a stepping stone. He should have been going to the top, top six, top four clubs. No, he he was a talented player, but obviously, um, and, and I'm not saying something. I'm not to- at all. No, he takes a lot, a lot of um, to be a professional footballer. There's a lot of um, various characteristics that you need to have, and unfortunately, no, was probably lacking in in one, and which was was um, at times important that you know. Um, Away from the pitch, he had everything on the pitch. But away from the pitch, when you need to be a bit disciplined, I think that was the thing that let Noel down from being that top six, top four player. Yeah, I think, that... obviously, Gordon Strachan moved moved him in with him for a bit. They need to just try and get him back on the straight and narrow. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people have tried with Noel and tried to try to help him. I think obviously it goes out saying Gordon Strachan um, took him under his wing 
obviously with the Leeds connection and, and trying to put him on straight now. But again, one, Noel had unfortunately had that trait in him that, that he couldn't kind of shake. Yeah. And it's a shame as well, because like you say, his talent was was unrivaled. I thought I thought he was fantastic. Scored some great goals as well that kind of go into the radar um, for Coventry, especially Man, for Coventry. Man yeah. United. He, he, dribbled, he could dribble, he dribble past people. And, and to be fair, um, the, 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 if he'd have scored a, a couple of goals when he went, he went around like four or five players and it ended up in the net, you'd still be talking about him now. Some of the things yeah. that Snowy could, Snowy could do with the ball. Again, like we said, we know how it plays out, but like it was, it was a pleasure. And 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 one of the things that um, for Noel is he, he's a lovely lad. He is really nice, really nice. I just obviously you know got um, his career just derailed in terms of um, his social life. Yeah, uh, the one goal that sticks out of my head was um, I don't know if you were playing this day, Paul. Uh, Gary McAllister, I think it was away at Wimbledon, put a crossfield ball, and he just kind of took it on the instep on the volley, and he yeah. just threw it, and it just. Yeah. Just made it look effortless, and just I, I don't know how no, a player no. does that. Nah, he was, and like like I said, he he had qualities to play a lot um, in in the top echelons of the of the Premier League. He did. He he was a talented player, and he, to be fair, for three million pounds, he was a snip that we got him at. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Moving on a little bit, Paul. You mentioned him earlier. Obviously, the top nil's gone at the minute. This season will be dubbed the Entertainers by Sky, Hadji, Chippo, Robbie Keane, Carlton Palmer. No. Some dressing room, that is. <laughs> For, uh, yeah, we'll get on to Carlton later on, but uh, no, at the end of the season. But no, um, the Team Rockins, the Team Rockins were like a breath of fresh air. They, they were, they were first and foremost fantastic people who embraced um, the English culture, but like they, 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 they were just played with a freedom that that was was amazing. And Hadji was a, a clearly an entertainer. The way he was, yeah. he played football. His attitude and and what what stood out from they were prepared to work harder than everyone else too. They, they ran around and and dug in like the rest of us. Had that bit of quality again and that bit of showmanship to to um, take the game by the scruff of the neck. And again, fantastic people. Really nice. Like speak to Hadji now. Really nice man. Really nice. I, I still can't believe to this day we signed African Football of the Year. Like that's how mad it was when we signed him. Yeah. Yeah, and deservedly, like you, you know, you come with that reputation that you've got to have something about you, and, and yeah. Hadji had that in abundance. He did definitely. But Richard Shaw was saying, even though obviously, um, he, you would look at Hadji, and obviously with his with his culture and stuff, you would think he'd be quite quiet. And then Richard Shaw said he, he lived near the mailbox in Birmingham. And you'd go around, he'd be drinking gin and tonics. So I just you'd never yeah. expect it of him. Yeah, he he thought that was the South of France. Hadji did, but no, um, <laughs> yeah, he did. He was he was laid back. He, 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 his, his life was like how he played. He was laid back. Nothing flustered him, actually. And and he, like I said, he went out to enjoy himself, and and that's exactly what he did. He was really good in the dressing room. Really good. The, the, the pair of them were phenomenal. Um, yeah. but, but but you look at the squad that season. Obviously, Dion oh, left. Oh, 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 wait. I've, I've got to go on about Carlton Palmer. Yeah. Honestly, you talk about Carlton all day. Did you ever hear no. a, a bottle of DP for CP? <laughs> How do you know about that? He, he called himself the Sea Pigeon. Have you seen the film about the the racehorse? That's that's yeah. who we, that's who he he modelled himself off because he he was like he was like a racehorse. Um, Carlton, like for me, I, I know um, it's like Mar might be some people, but like I'd rather have him on my team than than against him. Definitely, Carlton would verbally take the Mickey out of you and 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 leave you leave you. Um, Devastated, and like he could run, 
and and the horrible thing about it, Carlton could drink but still come in and, and win the running in the morning. So yeah, he he was a character and he, he was good for the dressing room, Carlton. Whether whether he was taking the Mickey out of someone or someone was taking the Mickey out of him, he, he was he was his heart's in the right place. And I've got plenty a lot of time for Carlton Palmer. He's he's a he's a good man. He's a good Rich, man. Richard Shaw said on, on his first away day, he comes and sits on the coach, gets his phone out, and he rings Prince Nazim Hamid, and Prince Nazim doesn't even know what it's like. He doesn't know Carlton Palmer from Adam from Adam. <laughs> Shaws is horrible for telling that story. Yeah, well, well <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it. Um, Carlton and Prince Nazim were best of friends, and Carlton would would ring him up um, plenty of time when he was on on the team bus to have a, have a chat and a pep talk. So yeah, they were they were best of friends. He comes across as just such a character. Like I'd love to sh- to share the changing room with him. Um, yeah, but really you had a pressure room full of characters at that point. Um, so I could just imagine, like you say, wanting to get into work early. But but the season before, you lose you lose Dion to Aston Villa. Uh, Hawkeby goes close season. And the replacement to a little orange kid from Wolves, uh, Robbie Keane. What's your first thoughts when he walks in the, in the door? Well, you heard about him. And again, like Robbie Keane, and, and, and please don't take this the wrong way, we had the same feeling of, of Noel Whelan, but this 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 lad had his head screwed on and was and was and knew that this would be a stepping stone for him. Yeah. And like you know, the first day of training, you knew why we had spent that money on him. It it was it was like a breath of fresh air to have have some of that quality. And again, Robbie's humble with his with his upbringing and, and as a person, he was he was he was fantastic for us. He he kind of gave us like that shot in the arm that we needed at the time. And he, he was, he, like you say, his career speaks for itself and, and a really good man on top of that too. The, the, that season in general, there were some unbelievable games. Obviously, the one that sticks out is Arsenal on Boxing Day. But one that sticked out for me, being there as a kid, and we actually lost a game, but it's still to this day one of the best games I've ever seen live. We lost at home to Leeds 4-3. What a game that was. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that was. goal, yeah. Yeah, and... End to end, it, it was yeah, it was. A fa- I know um, we lost the game, but again, like that game sticks in mind. You, you, it was an astonishing game, and like you know, you can understand why the Premier League was was the most watched league because games like the games like that were were, were all, always in in the Premier League, always. And and like I say, those, those players played their part on that day. It was an amazing game. I cried that day. I've just remembered. I that think was crying with you. Yeah, who could be scored? Yeah, who could be scored? Yeah. And he- and he went and celebrated right, right, right near me, and I'm like, Darren, come back here, please. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I would, I would have been about eleven. Oh, that that broke my heart. But we we talk about goals that season, and we can't not talk about a tapping that you scored, Paul, uh, <laughs> against Newcastle. What's no, going through your mind to it from there? I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it was instinct more than anything, anything else. And I remember Chippo laying it off, and I thinking, "What am I going to do with it now?" And I just, I just had forward momentum and obviously caught it in in the right place. And like you say, I, I ne- and and I'm not being big idiot. I never knew how good it was until I saw it on TV or how far out it was. It was an amazing. And like you can tell by that, I never I didn't know what I was doing. I went and hugged the assistant manager for some reason. Go, yeah. So I, I don't even know what. So yeah, exactly. So um. It, it was it was fortunate for me that, that I made the right decisions and, and like probably no it isn't probably it is the best goal I've, I've ever scored. I was I was just about to say again I watched the game uh, the goal earlier just to kind of refresh my memory a little bit um, and I was going to ask about the celebration because obviously I don't think you expected to score 
um, a, a goal of that quality. Um, and then you're running off, like, and, and like you say, you end up at the assistant manager. I weren't sure if it was, you know, was there something behind the scenes that had happened or, or, or was it literally just instinct just to just run? <laughs> no, it was a bit, a bit of both, actually, because um, I'm, I'm really close to Gary Penji. He was, he was a, a really good foil for um, Gordon's tracking. And, and, like, you know, behind the scenes, um, probably doesn't get get all the credit that he deserved, but he was he was a good man, Pendo, and uh, like a brummy. So yeah, um, a bit of it was I didn't know what to do, but like he was a face that I saw, and he was just as happy that I scored it as I was. And it, it, like I say, the pictures that I have at home of of, of that celebration will stick me forever. Definitely, and I just want to touch. We've kind of mentioned uh, Richard Shaw a couple of times, but just to kind of highlight your partnership that you had when everyone thinks of Richard, they think of you. And when they think of you, they think of Richard. Um, you seem to have a phenomenal understanding on the pitch. How close were you off the pitch? Very, very close. We were, we were like, we, we, I'd ring Shawzy on the way into training, see him at training, then ring him after training and probably speak to him at night time. We, we were really close. It was, when we first, when I first got, he was signed. I remember we were in, um, I Cork, I think we were on a pre-season, and, and Shaza came, and like we just hit it off then. And like you know, through all our time at Coventry, we've had um, players come in in our positions, wanting wanting to take our place. And again, we've had to um, adapt our game and get better, and and, and spend sometimes spend times out of the pitch just practicing and getting better. And something that we we had with them, and we were we were a stronger partnership together than than apart in terms of. Um, what we what we did on a Saturday and and again I spoke about it before. Me and Shaws were that close that we could be we could have honest conversation with ourselves. And if it, and like I remember them in the game, Shaws said, "Come on, Willow, you need to liven up." And like it wasn't something that I thought, "Oh no, he's he's, he's coming from bad." But Shaws was was always inspiring me to get better, and you know, and vice versa. If we weren't at it, then we'd, we'd have to get each other at it because it was it was a relationship that we had that, that like I just said we can have we could have an honest conversation, and you knew it was coming from a good place first and foremost. And like Shazza, like we speak, still speak now. He's a he's a really good friend. Shazza is top bloke well, too. Well, well, when we spoke to him, he was such a lovely, lovely bloke. Like, I couldn't believe how nice he was to us. He was taking he's probably getting like taking a piss out of me as well, loads. But he's a lot of lovely. Bloke. Oh, he, he hammered you, Dave. I'm not going to lie. He hammered, <laughs> he, to be fair, he, he hammered me at first because I was wearing uh, the purple and yellow shirt that's in the background. I was wearing it that night. And he just said, "Get that off!" Like we didn't want to wear it, so why, so why are you wearing it? Yeah, um, that's fair. But, and to be fair, he he, he was good as gold, he, uh, and he did. He spoke very highly of you as well. So I was just intrigued yeah, to see kind of how that connection he was. was. A, he was a good servant. For, he's a good servant for the club. Shores he was. He he he, he he's, he's a he is no he is. You can use that word lightly, but he is Shores is it? Like you say, he's he's a good man, and himself and myself were were very vocal in the change room, and Shores are, and Telf used to play a lot of tricks on a lot of people. A lot of people. They had a lot of people in their pocket. He blames you everyone else, sure he does, but it's him. <laughs> you, meant, you mentioned Paul Telfer, and you hear stories that he hated the game, he wanted to play golf. Is it true? Is it a bit... Was that just a bravado he put on, or did he really hate playing football? No, no, no. It's a bit of tongue-in-cheek, Telf. Um, he, he was, he was, um, he loved, he loved being at, at the football club. He loved, he loved being at Coventry. Um, he loved his golf, by the way, but now Telf, Telf enjoyed playing football. I think it's something that he might, he could, he could have done uh, at a very good level. He's a very good golfer. He's off scratch, but um, yeah. no, I think I think he enjoyed his time at Comedy, but it's a bit of mystique about him wanting to play golf. 
to be fair, he must have been because he went to Celtic as well. Who we were not a small club, are they? So he, he must have he must have enjoyed the game to a degree to go to Celtic. Final was Southampton as well, didn't he? he, yeah. he, he yeah. I, I think he's criminal, criminally underrated, especially uh, by golf fans. He always seems to get passed over a little bit when when we sit, especially when we're doing stuff like this where we sit and reminisce. I think we definitely look past uh, Tav quite a lot. No, he is underrated, and Tav was unfortunately like. Um, he could he could play a few positions and, and would get passed over to, to playing some games when someone was injured. But no, he was it was pivotal to to the dressing room. Telf wasn't and, and like we could rely him on a, on a Saturday because we like again me, Shawsy and Telf. You knew what you were going to get. So um, it, it was it was it was pivotal in the change room. Telf. The, the one thing again with that season and going on to the next season as well. I think what what was really good from from our point of view was the amount of young players that were coming through. Um, the likes of Chris Kirkland, Gary McSheffrey, uh, you know, young local lads. Um, what, what, were, what were they like, you know, in the change room, coming in to an experienced change room like you? We you know. had a few. Marcus Hall, the first one, again, yeah, um, a really good player, Marcus. Unfortunately, I'd had that horrendous knee injury, but um, again, came to squad. Typical, because growing up, you know, it was, it was, it comes to people were tough when we did play against them at school games and, and they, they were t- and Marcus had that in a, in a steal in him you know that he knew what he wanted to do and, and was a very good player getting on the 21 caps in that Marcus again was a good player we had Gav Strachan came through Craig yeah. Peed and, and oh. McSheffy was like a new wonder boy with his left foot he could he could score goals he could but unfortunately like you know the names you mentioned kind of restricted his, his development in terms of, of playing the first time but he was he was at sixteen was one one of the one of the players of of his generation. He was, and yeah, yeah. with Chris Kirkland, mate, he speaks himself. Oggy's son, Chris, and and like <laughs> say, and, and like me, um, me, Shawsy, we would spend time with the young lads and, and not always giving them good news. We we would play pranks on them and 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 give them a few life skills and and also talk to them and tell them the truth, really, of, of things how they're going to do with the vote. Because again, I, I had that same experience where. Um, you get a bit carried away with yourself with a young lad and you need to take it down and set. And I had Art Fox do that to me. Um, and again, like I, I'll tell you the same story that I tell a lot of podcasters, um, being at Derby and having a new haircut and then put him and um, I think I'm I'm looking not bad going in on a Monday morning. And I walked past the manager's office and, I, and they used to call me Jossimar in those days. So he said, Jossie. And then just, you know, oh, no, what's happened now? What have I done? I didn't go out at the weekend, so I'm okay. So I'm not in trouble. <laughs> so he, um, he texts me in his office and he says, um, what's that in your hair? I said, Gap, it's just a line. It's okay. He goes, no, it's not, son. If you want to be a different son, score 30 goals a season. And that's what he said to me. <laughs> that's brilliant. So, so I had had that throughout. So like you, you kind of keep an eye on all those young lads coming through, and make sure that they stay grounded and not get carried away. And so because because um, once you start getting comfortable, then your careers don't kind of go the same way that, that that you are. So make make sure they're always striving and and not actually at a position where they, they think they are comfortable. So again, all credit to those those young lads that they came through their time at Cobham and, and like Chris Kirtland playing for England and and being playing at Anfield is 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 special. But he was he was Oggy's son. Oggy was very protective of him. Oggie was. We couldn't talk to him, but Oggie's he's um, had a great career. Kirkin again, a good lad. But, but moving on a little bit to to a low point, really, the two thousand two thousand one season. Um, we lose McAllister, we lose Robbie Keane, uh, we lose Whelan, Colin Hendry, Cedric Roussel. Um, obviously, a lot of pressure was put on Bellamy coming in to kind of be a saviour as a young kid. Did you know from the start of the season we were in trouble? 
Not not particularly um, through the season. Again, you know, you talk about all the people who have left over that period of time, and, and you can go back to Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane um, was a man um, above his years, of his age, really. So he came to the dressing room and embraced everything that was going on with it, you know. He, he, he kind of knew he knew he was a superstar and everything else, but like he was he was he fitted into the change room. Like you know, we, where we were in the league, he knew where he was going and he knew what what kind of person to be within the change room. And and this is no no um, slight on Craig Bellamy. It, it was tough for him because a lot of pressure was put on upon him. But he knew where he wanted to go. He knew Comte was only going to be a stepping stone for him, really. And um and we 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 had relied on team spirit for a long time. You know, things that would get us through, and it just. It kind of waned away with with people going and, and bringing in and people who were had, not, I wouldn't say a different agenda, but were, were, weren't weren't didn't fit into the way that we we'd had over the years. And I think a big sign in that season, and he didn't sign until February, was Johnny Hartson. I think if he comes in October November, I think we probably stay up. He was unbelievable that season. Yeah, he was. He, he was. He, he gave he gave us something different. Not once they didn't. Obviously, losing Dion was was and having Robbie, who who wasn't at the, the statue of Dion, and, and Cedric again wasn't. He started off with like House of Fire, but, but I think he he had got to where he had plateaued within within his Coventry career. And having John come in, a seasoned pro, and again he came in um, good than his usual of getting people fitter and believing that the the, the fittest players in in the league. And, and again, like I said, if we'd have come in a bit earlier, I think it would have been a different scenario because him and Bellas had a, had a, had a um, good relationship. Yeah, you, you, you look at the signings that season, the players that went out and came in, a lot of youth came in uh, at the start, lads like Jay Bothroyd and David Thompson as well. Um, yeah. how, how did the mood in the changing room feel did, did it go from like you say getting in early um all having a bit of a laugh uh, have the dynamics really changed yeah i think there was more silos more than anything you know like you know you, you i think there was a divide between you had um the season pros who, who had carried on doing what they'd done and you know the new crop of players um not really buying into to the environment or the culture that we had at the club and that's not that's not a, a disrespectful to them they they were on their own different journeys but you know, we we had been there a long time, and and I just, I just think that the, the change room wasn't as strong as as it should have been, or it could have been. And I think, like I said at the start start of, of this podcast, is that I think um, team spirit goes a long way, and once that starts to show cracks, I think um, relegation was inevitable. We spoke to Chris Kirkland uh, probably about a month ago now. And he said when we got relegated, that every, he said him and John Eustace went out that night. They, they were they were still in tears then. Um, how was it for you personally when we did go down? It was devastating. It was because it it was it wasn't much about about me. It was about all the people that that, that were going to suffer. You know, people in the office, people people at the training ground that that you know the club no longer could could afford. And it it, it was. Because that was, I've been there a long time and you, you get to know all these people and, and personally, not just on a work relation, you actually care for all these people. And the fact that, that you know that these people know there's a chance of them, you didn't know who was going, there's a chance of them not being there next season. Yeah. You kind of felt um, it was your fault as, 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 as football players that these people are going to be losing their jobs. So, it, it, again, it was similar to um, losing at Wembley. It was it was a devastating summer for us where, where us as a team can go back under our contracts and, and carry on playing. These, these people will be losing their jobs. So, it was, it, was, um, it, was, it was a bad time. Do you think that's missing a little bit from the game now, obviously? 
when you got relegated with Cov, all the lads were worried about the t- the ticket ladies, the people, the, ad- the admin girls, stuff like that. Whereas now you've got players on three, four hundred grand a week. Do you think they're really bothered about the staff at the club, or, or they are in it for themselves? I think there's a generation change. I think, and 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 that's not that's not um, that's not something that 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 I I, I kind of um, think is a negative thing. And I just think that, that people have changed, and, and it has become in in a lot of areas a more selfish world where people are just looking out for themselves and. You know, as long as they're okay, then then that's how they tend to to, to um, manage and live their lives. But like going back to that time, it, it was it was like we had um, Roz, who was who gave us breakfast every morning. You know, the chance of early leaving was 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 something that was very very real to us. And you get to know the families and know and know the impact it had on all those peoples was just something that we had at that that area. But like you said, at this time, it just seems that like it's a bit less sterile and people people are focused on on what's what they're going to gain rather than the bigger picture i get that 100 percent, definitely in in that season is there any moment where you think oh you know we, we, we're staying up or is there a resigned feeling at any point where you just think things aren't going our way we're not going to get the rub of the green um no, it was what, and again, you get a feel for it um, just coming out of Christmas, you know, and and you you kind of know where 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 you're going to be for the next month, and like you know, you get a kind of feel from training and, and how the unity of the lads, which is a big thing that that you can pick up on, and like you say, the sparks wasn't there; they were there some weeks, and it wasn't consistent in terms of our time from Christmas to the end of the season. You know, we were, I think, training was sporadic, and and um, not in terms of we going every day, but having having better and good training says and people aspiring to get better with sporadic days and it, I think it plays its part in over over and over all in the season and and even for the team we had I, I don't I don't believe that we we were the, we were on paper should have been relegated with the worst mm-hmm. worst three teams but we were because you know we weren't together we weren't um, getting that extra percent out of each other that we needed to, to um, get ourselves in a comfortable position in the league so um Again, but like that had come from a lot of time through the season because we, we became like a set, it looks as though every time we, we'd, we'd stay up, you know, the summer, you'd say goodbye to someone because you know two or three people would leave and would bring someone else, and it just kept getting diluted. We bought that's from um Ivan Guerrero, we you know, recruitment was, was getting very, very different, you know, at the time yeah. of players. Like we spoke earlier about Noel Wheeler coming in, Robbie Keenan, we, we were just like, um. Diluting the the, the the standard of player of squad player that we were bringing in. So I want to touch on Paul. Um, obviously, you, you've mentioned you and Richard were like experienced heads in the changing room and stuff, uh, and there were these little silos with lads like David Thompson, who's come from a big club like Liverpool, Jay Boffroyd, who's come from Arsenal, uh, Craig Bellamy, who had aspirations to play higher. What does that do in the changing room to? to when you're in the thick of it and you're digging in to try and get out of it and you've got lads like that are they giving it their all or is it a case of they're younger they think you know what no matter what happens I'm probably going to get a move only they can tell you that but like for me um, and we spoke about Marcus Hall um, Gammy Strack and um, John you saw those players they were young lads but you, you could look round them and they were standing tall next to you you know, they were they were all for the fight of, of not just just you them as a person staying up. They 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 understood that like you know 
we've got a duty to fans, we've got a duty to people around us, and th- and they didn't want to, and and I, I don't know, and I'm I'm not, I don't want to disrespect any of those players that he spoke about, but they might have had one eye on on the next move rather mm. before the season had, had finished, you know. So Craig Bellamy knew he was going to go to go to a top club. David Thompson had come from Liverpool and was was destined to go go to another another club. So um. And, and and please don't think that it's, it was their fault that we got ready, and not at all. Yeah. It was collective of, of, of a squad, but um, maybe and there were young lads. Maybe their eyes eyes were turned when things started going wrong. Because again, you you look at the other, other lads; they were they were ready to dig in and and fight 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 with us. So does, does that cause friction in the dressing room? Does it at all? Yeah, I think I think it, it did, but like like the dressing wasn't like it was in in terms of when when I first got there. You know, yeah. it, it it was a transitional period when Ron came in, but like the likes of um, Jenks, John Williams, Dave Rennie, the Bayern boys, are all all lads for the cause. You know, the cause yeah. was bigger than any individual in the dressing room. It was all about Calvin, and you know, maybe where where they they feel that we're hard done to, they will come in and. And want to better themselves and want to better you. So that that was the kind of environment that, that we had. But towards the end and, and and relegation season was was it was totally different. On that dressing was totally different. And I'm like you you had a, maybe a, a, a really quick turnaround of players who didn't really know each other at, at, at that stage. Mm-hmm. Two names you two names you mentioned there, Paul uh, David Thompson and Craig Bellamy. Just to touch on both of them. Uh, when Bellamy came in, did you know did you know again a bit like Robbie Keane what how good he was and why we signed him. And in terms of David Thompson, I remember obviously we got relegated. I think you left quite early in, in the Division One season, but Thompson that season scored seventeen goals from right wing. He was a player. David Thompson was. Nah, very good player. David Thompson was, and, and Craig Bellamy even even better. They were, they were really two talented lads. Maybe um, Comte played a part in, in in their next move rather than um, being being at college long enough to understand what what we were about. And again. That maybe had a different focus, which which is not a bad thing. Of like this was going to be a stepping stone for them, but like you say, in, in terms of their talent, they they were very 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 talented players, very talented players. And like I spoke about earlier, if you had them all on paper, then there's no 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 chance of us getting relegated that season. That's it. Definitely. Uh, so obviously, uh, carry on, Neil. I was just going to say before we move on to you, you moving on. I just want to touch on playing at Highfield Road uh, and what that was like, just in just in general. Uh, obviously, it, it's a, it's a stadium that, that is still held dearly in the heart of all Coventry fans. Um, around that sort of time, with the conversations happening about the move to the new stadium. Yeah, it was it was sad for me because, like, it's not that I don't like change, but like, there's so many great memories that you had at Highfield Road, and it, it, it was. You know, accessible to all fans. You know, you go around the Highfield area on just before or match days and out. You see people milling around, and and it was just, it just, it was iconic in Coventry, and it was like like the place that that everyone looked at. You know, it stood higher in the middle of town, and you could see it from from a certain um, point in 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 the um, in the town in the town in the city. Sorry, and it was it was a focal point, and and to hear it, it, it was. And again, that made my it was unsettling in terms of moving to a new stadium with with no identity. And I think that's what we kind of lost in our season of of, of relegation, our identity on and off the pitch. Have um, obviously talking about stadiums. I know you didn't play there, but have you been to the Rico? Yeah, I have. I, I went. I've, I've been um, a few times. Um, watched, I watched Shawsy play. Shawsy play. Um, went to his testimonial. Yeah, it's it's an amazing stadium. 
and like, I don't like talking about it much because because where it is right now in terms of um, Coventry City, it, it, it's it's been a sad sad journey. It it's has. a disgrace, and, isn't it? And such a disgrace. A, yeah, it is. It is, and, and I, I just feel sorry for the sand fans. You know, travelling to Northampton, travelling to to Birmingham for home games. It, it, it they're the ones suffering for for all, all all what's gone on beforehand, and it's just a travesty that that we haven't got our own stadium and and we're not playing at the at the Rico Stadium, which is which is fitting for um, a club like Coventry. Yeah, definitely. Um, so then. You move on. You 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 go to Southampton. Uh, you and Paul Taffer go down there. Um, how, how did that come about? Is that something that in the back of your head you thought you were going to move on, or was it a decision that? Um... No, it was. It was a bit of both. And Richard Money was manager um, at the time, and he 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 just never played me. I don't know whether um, him and the chairman had, had had something going on, but um, once Gordon had left, um, I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't playing much, and obviously, and again, I was at that place where I was at Derby years before that I wanted to go and carry on playing in the Premier League. But this, this was, I was, I wouldn't say I was smart about it, but I just, I just didn't ruffle any fig, feathers. If that's the way the club wants to do and get me off the wage bill, then, then that was something that um, I, 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 I wanted it, it. It suited both parties really. So um, I remember and getting a phone call. Um, from the chairman saying that um, obviously Gordon had asked about my availability and I went down to watch them play Ipswich and then I, I've not moved not moved out there since. <laughs> I know um, you, Southampton that season, they, uh, in 2002-2003, they got to the FA Cup final. I think you, you were on the bench that day in Cardiff. Um, yeah. But, but doing a bit of research earlier, is that when injuries kind of started n- niggling into your career a little bit? Yeah, I, w- I was... I was um, and this is something that, that that I'm pretty comfortable with. Like I maximise my my um, my career. I've got no regrets about about anything in terms of um, every single day wanting wanting to do my best. And uh, I I I was um, a little lad from Burton on Trent who you know with Flatfleet wasn't wasn't supposed to play at the level he's supposed to play that. And and for me, um, Southampton was was that time where I'd, I'd went there over. Two seasons and and was at, at, at my best, and then you know you, you get up, you not get up one morning, but like preseason becomes a bit harder that third season, yeah. and again like you start picking up niggling injuries and, and where your mindset's saying, oh no, that hamstring's only only two or three weeks, it starts becoming a month and a month and a half. You know you're not you're not recovering as quick as you used to, and again it starts to play play um, on your mind and like you say. You look at your birth certificate, and you're getting older, aren't you? So, and your body's getting older with all the knocks and knocks and bangs it gets. So, again, Coventry was a high point, but then it kind of, for me, it was that same way you start winding down your career. Was was the FA Cup final in itself a high point? Because I, I know Arsenal went one 0 but Southampton played really well that day. Yeah, the, the it was a whole day in the build-up. You know, like for for me growing up, um, the FA Cup was you'd put it on at, at probably ten o'clock in the morning, and you'd yeah. watch it. And up until until the game was finished, and not not just you'd watch the losing team go, but you watch the winning team, and you'd watch them walk around the pitch. So it it, it was an all day thing, and, and like to be actually be part of it and be in it again for someone um, who was brought up in Burton on Trent, and and to, and to go through that that day and that, and have and be a full um, stadium in Wales was was an amazing day and something again like you know I've got me I know it's a losers medal, you got me FA Cup. Medal and still got my suit. I can't fit in it, by the way. But um, 
it, it, was, it was an it was an amazing amazing day it was it, it and and to, and to say that you you've experienced an FA Cup final is something that you know not many people can say they've experienced. Was there any part of you that looks on it a little bit bitter that it was in Cardiff and not Wembley? Did yeah kind of ruin the experience a little bit? Yeah, it, it did. It did actually because obviously like and and obviously I had history at Wembley in terms of um, the playoff and it was something that I'd want to go back there and and experience a day. There again, and like like you say, all, all the times I've looked at the FA Cup, watched it on TV, and I was younger, it's it's always been at Wembley, you know. And the fact it was in in Wales, um, it did it did take a bit off it, but like again, it was an FA Cup final, so um, beggars can't be choosers. So there's two players really that I definitely wanted to touch on from your time at Southampton, and they were both at opposite ends of their career, um, Wayne Bridge and Matt Letizia. Uh, uh, <laughs> How good was Matt Letizia? I, I, I can honestly say he's the best finisher I'd, I'd ever, ever seen. Yeah. I've ever seen and headed in it. He could. He, he was. He he was. He was so talented that he, he was laid back. Tis he he had, he had he had everything and like you know he was, he was totally at home, relaxed in Southampton. He he could he could pass it. And put it on on a on a fifty pence piece for you wherever you went to, and he was, it was it was like kind of embarrassing the talent that he had. I say the one of the best finishes that I'd ever seen from from inside the eighteen yard, but outside the 18, even more outside the eighteen yard box. And like I say, you you could actually cross the ball to him, and he could he could head the ball to. Um, and Wayne, and Wayne was just just a, a talented lad. You could see that from the second that he he started to train with us. He he. Um, was quick. He was a, he was a modern day fullback, you know. Where and no respect to him, Franny, Francis Benali was was a good player in his own right. But um, when Wayne come on the scene, you could quickly see why why he was going to get get thrust into the first team. And obviously, the, the career that he's had since then was was fantastic. Uh, fitting to him. And I remember like he making his debut for, for um, England, and he came in midway through training, and training stopped, and we all clapped him because he, he was that likable lad and, and a talented player. Um. Obviously, after Southampton, it, um, this actually made me laugh earlier when we were doing some reading. It said you angered Colin Lee because you agreed to go to Warsaw, then ended up joining Stoke. Uh, this, this, so, so at Coventry, um, I can't remember what year it was. My contract was running out, and um, it, it was it was going into summer. And Colin Lee was at Wolves at the time, and he asked me to go and go and join them. So I spoke to him about joining him. I've not told many people this. I, I spoke to him about joining them, and um, I was I was really close to joining them. But I think something from their hand. I think Jez Moxie said that, that the deal wasn't going to go through. But uh, again, then I signed for Cov. And a few years later, um, I'm leaving Southampton and I'm coming back to the Midlands. And Colin Lee, I spoke to Colin Lee, and uh, yeah, we agreed. Um, to come, but I said that we'll, we'll talk about um, the wages and all that stuff, which, which wouldn't be a problem. But then um, Tony Pulis came on the phone and, and John Rudge, and they spoke to me. And once said, sold sold it to me a bit more. I just I just had a better feel to me. Stoke was was not far from Burton on Trent, where I was born. I just thought that I could commute from there and, and, and be fine. And and to be fair, Stoke was 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 um, their own training ground, and also like the stadium was 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 full of people. So. That was what swayed it for me, really. And like I say, um, I spoke to Colin since, and I've apologised for the way that happened. And then, lo and behold, who's my first game against when I played for Stoke? 
water away. <laughs> Dogs abuse that day, was it? <laughs> it was, mate. If, if, if I could hear for cotton wool in ears, but yeah, it was. <laughs> um, um, the, the move to Stoke, obviously John Eustace was there, Marcus Hall was there. Did that kind of play a little bit of a part as well that you knew a couple of guys that were, you were going to be walking into the change room to? Yeah, well, obviously, yeah, that was the change room and half that was. We had Adiak and by Gifton, Noel Williams, bloke. Sarah Russell. We had, we had lots lots of different characters in that dressing room. But no, I spoke to um, John Eustace and, and Marcus at the time and, and like it was it was a really good time. Obviously, I didn't play enough at um, Stelman. I spoke about it there. You, like you know, you're picking up these injuries, and, you, and your body's aching a bit more when you when you've trained and you're getting up in the morning again. So, it was it was a tough time at Stoke, but um, again, the changing was was really good, full of characters. Um, and well, again, that was a quick fire change of play. Like I, I remember sitting next to Ed De Hoy, um, yeah, the ex Chelsea goalkeeper, and like he was a character in the dressing room. It, 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 I've got fond memories of of the dressing room. Probably not playing as much as I did at Stoke, but yeah, it was it was it was it was fine. And you mentioned that in Boye. Um So I've spoken about this on other podcasts. A lot of my family live in Stoke on Trent, um, but they're Vale fans, so I won't mention them too much uh, now. Um, but I, I remember bumping into Adi Akinboye in the middle of Hanley. Uh, and when I say but I literally bumped into him and it hurt. He yeah. was just an absolute tank of a man. Um, did, did you kind of have much interaction on the training ground? Did he kind of uh, throw his weight about a bit? No, he did actually, and like we talk about injuries, I remember trying to chase him once and, and pulling my hamstring and being out for eight weeks. It, it was, <laughs> Addy, Addy was was a beast. That's what we used to call him, the beast. He could, he could, he had. And we used to call him for Christie too because he, he had that kind of physique. He was and strong as anything. And when he wanted to, wanted to show how strong he was, it was not many people could get him on ball. But again, like, I've been blessed in my career. I have. I met some some really nice people. Really nice people. Oh, I'm, I'm not sure. If you... Carry on, Neil. I was going to say, I remember when he went to Leicester and he went through that gold drought and he, <laughs> he took, took, when his he shirt off. took his shirt off. I remember saying, yeah. he, did, he didn't look like he was ripped. He was absolutely shredded. So yeah, fair to me. Not 0% body fat, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Were you at Stoke with Jerry Taggart, Paul? <laughs> See, I forgot. I forgot. Yes, I was. I was. Jerry, again, another character. It, it was like, yeah. you know, being at, at Stoke was like being, you know, all the bad people in football all put into one change room. It was. And <laughs> it, it, it people had, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. That was it. It was like, you no, know, oh, you've got detention. Got to be in Stoke change room at nine o'clock in the morning. It was full, full of vagabonds. It was. It was full of people. Like, you know, Jerry, Jerry had come and he was a good in the change room, funny lad, you know. And like I say, he, 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 he fitted. Fitting being at Stoke at the time, he's a character the, himself, Jerry. The, the reason I asked about him, I, I watched a few podcasts myself, uh, and I watched Mike Birchall on Under the Cosh. And Mike Birchall oh. said he played at Stoke away, and he was he got battered by the fans. It's something to do with Jerry Taggart. Would you play in the game? Yeah, I did. Jerry got sent off. Yeah, but Birch went down easy, didn't he, or something? <laughs> well, on the pitch or in the tunnel. <laughs> he didn't mention that to be fair but yeah on, on the pitch <laughs> no it was a big monster waiting for him at the end of the tunnel I heard or I saw anyway I, I, I know I know his arsehole went a bit when Akinboy I, I stuck it on him he didn't fancy that who would yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's only human <laughs> but uh, I think you look at that changing room and like you say just, just, you know lads like Chris Iwalumo I hope I said that mm-hmm. right Chris yeah. uh, Clint Hill you know Gifton or Williams like you say did that take you back a little bit to those good old days at Cov where 
you were getting in early and the crack was going on. Fair enough, your body probably weren't up to it and you weren't playing as many games as you would have liked, but, you know, the crack and the banter side of things. Yeah, it, it was. It was. Like we said, I think we had a good team spirit. We got in pretty early and, and, and had a laugh and not people many left after training. And, like, it, it was it was at that stage where you had to be careful what you wore into training because you would become ridiculed of anything, you, anything you'd, you'd wear. So so you had to be careful and... and and don't don't step outside the realms of of setting fashion because then you know it could end up anywhere your gear. So yeah, <laughs> cars being moved in training or not. So it, it was it was like I say, it's, my people might say it's childish, but like it, it was great times in terms of team spirit at Stoke. Uh, so after Stoke, Paul, I didn't, I genuinely didn't notice about you until I read earlier. You went to America. Yeah. How so did you, that come you, about? you know, I mentioned that 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 slope at, at Southampton. Then I, I, by the time I'd left Stoke, I was in the holiday mode. <laughs> and, and um again my body was was <laughs> my body was breaking down and i'm at a stage where thinking or oh, maybe a bit of warm weather training is gonna gonna make it better so um fortunately um i had the chance um lee cowishaw again from burton on trent was manager at richmond kickers so i went there and it, it was a fantastic lifestyle i know it was in in the deep south of virginia and there was a lot of um incidents i can't talk about right now mm-hmm. probably yeah. not the, the right forum but um, in terms of weather and and friends and and lifestyle, I I really enjoyed Richmond Kicking. It, it was it was lovely. I know it's like you know always wanting to travel with football and getting a chance to play and travel America. Sometimes on on the red eye going to going across across America was was a great experience for me in terms of life skills and and understanding. And then came back and started my coaching career. I'm I'm not sure obviously with your personal life, if you're married or you've got kids or anything, but were you in America on your own or were you, were you over there with anyone else? What's that got to do with it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was by myself. Even even better. Where's he going with that? Sorry, sorry. Obviously, David's always just winding them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, oh dear! Oh, that's made my day. Yeah. Obviously, obviously that that was quite funny but i'd want to touch on a serious point for a minute you you, went, you mentioned yourself um you went into your coaching career and yeah. you've been at a few clubs obviously wolves all the shots southampton brentford um england kids um even caretaker at forest for a little bit uh, i want to ask you this question paul because we spoke to richard shaw about it do you think black managers don't get enough not enough of a chance 100 percent. yeah that's not that's not me being being control control Creating controversy. You no, look I, at I get facts. that. Yeah. You look at the facts. It's it's not, and and, and I I say this to as many people who want to listen. How can you have ninety two clubs and have only four four uh, maximum black managers that are good enough to do that do that job? Yeah. And and, and, and on top of that, I certainly believe that I, I've got something to offer, um, in terms of managing and coaching in football right now. And and maybe that's just a, only confidence in my own ability. But I I, I generally think that as there's more talented um, black coaches than I am who aren't getting the opportunity or haven't got the opportunity. So um, to answer your question, 100%, I, I feel that, that we're not looked upon as the same as, as any other counterpart in, in the game. You look at board level, you look at any level in football, we're just, just not. And, you know, with all the um, slogans going around and all that stuff, I think yeah. I think um, hopefully there is going to be time for action and, and, and people are going to sit up and, and say this isn't right. Um I'm sorry to get on my soapbox, but like even even like I'm the job that I'm doing right now is helping um, young and former players become better. You can see that that um, there is there is a um, gap between 
black coaches, black players, black black um, culture within the football um, world that, that, that there is a disparity is on. As a player yourself, did you suffer racist abuse yourself as a player? Yeah, lots of time. Lots of time. I've spoke. This, this has been. I, I got I, when I was a young lad at, at, at Derby. I would get get racial abuse from players within the first team, within reserves, um, fans. I, I like it would be um, regularly. You know, you know, you go to games and away games, sit on a bus, and like the, the forty-year-old dad would do the monkey sign, and his son would do it. Do it. Exactly. But well, they're things that, that, that you know, it's not their fault. That that's what they think is the norm, don't they? So, like, I've had that all me all me playing career, and even the time that we talk about Millwall when I was at Derby, that was an horrendous night where me and Gary Charles had to be taken off yeah. for our own safety. It, 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 it's 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 been throughout football, but like you know, a good thing that we're all having the conversation about it now, and I think not not just me, but a lot lot of um, black players are, 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 are telling people now the experience they've had. Which is, which is good, it's a talking point. Yeah, it? absolutely. Uh, this might be a stupid question, but it's not meant in this way. Did it bother you or did it spur you on? No, for me, it, it, it spurred me on in that instant. But like, you know, when you're time to reflect, you, you, you can't ask yourself questions. Why do they not look in the mirror and see, and see a person instead of seeing the colour? But at the time, 100%. at the time, it, it, it does spur you on because that, that's the only way that I, I could show and get them back. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you mentioned about you know people talking about it, and I, I, I definitely think we should, especially in the day and age we're in now, and everything that's gone on in the world in the last few years, especially. You know, you look at some of the idiots that are about at the minute. That that guy who who uh, racially abused Raheem Sterling the other season. It was uh, the, the Chelsea fan, weren't it? Yeah, the Chelsea fan. I'm glad we live in a world now where people are quick to identify these people, so there are repercussions. Because, like you say, back in the late eighties, early nineties. There were no cameras about. People were just in a crowd and blending in and could get away with it. At least now they're being held to their uh, responsibility for their actions. Uh, and, and hopefully that will help educate and, and make it so in 10 years' time, we're not sat here having a conversation about if a player's... Uh, the, um, um, the colour of a, a man's skin is worthy of him getting a job or not. It should never come down to that. Brilliant. Brilliant. And I totally agree with you. But like it's, And for me, I'm just happy that we're having the conversation and... and and hopefully more conversation will, will lead to less people having the chance to sweep under the carpet or even, for me, play the politics and just, just do half of it. Like, you know, for me, people talk about taking a knee. Yeah, it, it gets the conversation going, but when are we going to move on from that and, and actually sh- see real change? That's a fantastic point. Yeah, I, I, know, I know Les Ferdinand's come out and said something similar because uh, th- there was a bit of stick about QPR players not taking the knee. And he said, look... That's not going to stop what's going on at the minute. We need to be having conversations and educating. Uh, and I definitely think that's something that all football fans, players, managers, coaches, board members, everyone, we should be working together to make sure that happens. 100%. I think it would be a better place to having that, that, that diversity. And, and for me, in coaching, is that understanding that um, the journeys that coaches have been. So, for example, again, you're getting me on my soapbox now. But um, <laughs> my my dad told me never never to look um, anyone in the eyes that's older than you. So I was a young lad, maybe 16, 15, 16, and I'd never looked my coach in the eyes. And it was a real problem for me, coach, because he thought I wasn't paying him attention or or mm. disrespecting him. But it was a culture thing that, that had been grown up, grow, um, instilled in me that, like, you know, because my dad thought the second you stand up 
as tall as he is and look him in the eyes. That's the day that you become a man and you can stand on your own two feet. And I, I never wanted that. I had total respect for my dad and total respect for my coaches. So that was something, that, again, was a real massive problem for, for my youth team coach, thinking I wasn't playing his turn or that I was disrespecting him. And even even with our clocks at times, you know, that I wouldn't I wouldn't look him in the eyes because I had that much respect for him and, and didn't want to didn't want to come across rude. But these mm. things that have been been in my culture for a long time, and it, again, there's that that um, gap between coaches and and players now. You don't get these on your coaching badges and all that stuff. All the all the all the things that happen in in on on the on the on the ground. You know, these these things are just taught to you from yourself. And like I say, we're having the conversation about these things now, which hopefully you know is going to turn out beneficial. Um, you you mentioned uh, being a coach there. What what what's kind of your ambitions going going forward, Paul? Do you want to be a manager? Yeah, I want to be. Uh, like for me, I tell a lot. About, I, I, um, for me, as a black coach, I, I can't pick and choose what job job I have. But like, I would lo- love to have have some being football in some capacity, coaching or a manager. Because like, I still have aspirations. I want to be the best best coach, the best manager that Paul Williams can be. And I, I, for me. If I had one opportunity to do it and I failed, then I'd hold my hand up that, that you know I wasn't I wasn't I hadn't done enough work to to be successful. But if if you're not getting a chance, and you can never actually gauge yourself. It's a bit like you playing careers, isn't it? Like no, you, you get you get relegated, and you want to play in the best league and test yourself. And it's no different with your management. If if I'm as good as if I'm as good as I, I talk about, then I just want the chance to, to 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 prove that, or even even get an opportunity like everyone else is in terms of an interview to show that, that I have got the skills. Absolutely. Yeah, at least get in front of someone just to sorry yourself. Yeah, definitely. One hundred percent. How did you find it, at Forest, as a caretaker? <laughs> it, it, I, I, lo- I loved it, and, and it's, it's something that I'm really, really proud of right now. You know, um, I remember being named um, manager and walking into the boardroom um, with a chairman, and you know, he's got two two European cups sitting in there, and, and, and yeah, and probably. then you look back and think, you know what, Brian Clough's actually sat in that dugout, sat in that chair. Yeah. And like you know, obviously studying him from from my early age, it was a really proud moment for me. And, and obviously going out in the first game at the City Ground, where you, you I've watched football for a long time, and, and you see the City Ground and the dugouts haven't changed. You know, it, it was yeah. it was a really proud moment for me. And I was fortunate to have a really good team and really good lads who who bought into to the way that that I thought things was best to done. And, and I I thought um, we had a great time, and the lads enjoyed it. And you know. Technically, from relegation to fifteenth in the table again, something that I'm I'm really proud of. Definitely. Did you think you were going to be offered the job? I I didn't. I I I I got I got a contract that I stipulated that I was going to leave at the end of the season, and and whether you think I'm stupid or not, I had give um my word that I was going to go and work at, at the FA, and I didn't go back okay. on that. You know, I um and maybe that's just my values or, or, or that I just thought if I'd give someone my word then, then regardless of what, what's occurred I, um, So, I so potentially they, you, could, you could have had the Forest job? Yeah I, I think I wouldn't say that I had it I'd have had a chance to, to, to put me, me hat in the ring and whether I got it I don't really know but um, in terms of, of that I, I, like I said someone else the FA could have employed someone else um, with the job that, that I actually took up so I, I, I decided that um, I'd, I'd stick by my word and go to the FA. Fair play. I think this, think this is a lot about you as a person. Definitely, definitely. Thank you. That was part one, where we spoke everything commentary and about Paul's career. Join us for part two, where we answer, we answer some quick-fire questions. And in part three, everyone's favourite, Paul's best 11 you played with for commentary.
What's the Crack podcast. Follow us on social media for all of the latest news, releases and giveaways at What's the Crack PC. Welcome back to part two of What's the Crack podcast in association with JMR Property Maintenance. And we are going to go on to some quick fire questions now with Paul Williams. So Paul, first one, best manager you played for. I think we know this one. Wow, that's hard. That is that is that is hard. Um, I don't want to offend any any of them. I'm gonna go Arthur Cox, who's my first one, but the other two come really, really close, really, really yeah. close. Relaxing and Gordon Strachan. Lovely. Uh, to be fair, you could have just flipped a coin on that, couldn't you? For a couple, yeah. to be fair. Um, who, who was your best mate in football? Um. Shozza, because we we were we were more more than uh, and don't take this the wrong way or, or get it misconstrued. We were more than more than just teammates. We were we were yeah. we were like brothers. I mean, yeah. we were inseparable. Me and Shozza. Uh, I, I, I think the fact if you look at the other defenders that were around at the time, like Gary Breen, Mo Konyak, Leon Daesh, and the fact that you two were, were quite a constant. Alex Houstonov, you missed him out too. Who? Sorry, Alex Houstonov. He was another one yes. we bought. Yeah, exactly. You you mentioned players like that, you know, especially players like Gary Breen and and Mo, who was seen as a bit of a, a court hero at Coventry. You know, the fact that you and Richard were, were a bit of a mainstay, I think that says a lot about the, the the relationship that you two had on and off the pitch. And also, I can't I can't have a conversation where you're talking about best mate. Boosty is is again like he's Mister Reliable for me. I know that if if. If the worst happened to me tomorrow and I rang him up, he would drive wherever he was to come and find me. So, again, I can't have that conversation without mentioning Booster. He he's he's been a mainstay of, of since I met him from day one to 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 the to the current day today. I I think it says a lot about Dave Booster. But when we tweeted earlier that that we're recording with you, he retweeted it straight away. And we've we've never spoke to him, so I think it says a lot about what he thinks about you as well. No, I think I think the world of Booster is is, and again, like. I remember driving up to Manchester. We'd leave in the morning with with um, him sitting in the back seat, and I'm taking the front seat out of my car because his legs, like a shark attack, and it's got wires coming and and metal coming out left, right, and centre. I, I, it really bonded us together because I I was going through everything he was going through. I just felt so sad that you know you come into the game late, you got jeans are playing at Old Trafford, and ultimately it ends his career. And being there when the doctors actually say to him, "You're never going to play again," was. Oh. Was was heartbreaking. In, heartbreaking. in terms of making the best out of a bad situation, it was a lovely, lovely night. His testimonial. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What it was. Night. You could tell, um, Boosie. You know, like Eric Cantona's last game for Man United. Yeah. Um, Paul Gascoigne making an appearance. Yeah. It was. It was unbelievable. unbelievable. What, what, what was Gazza like that night? Obviously, he's a legend for for all, all England fans. He's a bit of an enigma. But it's, if anyone asked me the question, who's the best player you've seen in a commentary shirt? It's Paul Gascoigne. So yeah, thank you very much. I agree with you there. He he's, <laughs> he was he fitted in really. He 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 took over the change room that night. I think a lot of people were in awe of him. But like you say, um, he was he was he was brilliant on and off the pitch. Um, yeah. Next one, Paul. I, I think I think we probably know this. We've touched on him already. Well, you've touched on a few actually. But who's the biggest character you've you've played with over the years? Biggest character. I th- I thought you'd probably say Carlton Palmer, but again, you played with a few. Yeah, but in terms of character, yeah, it don't get any 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 um, <laughs> bigger than Carlton Palmer. 
you know, you, you, I don't really go searching around. He, he was he. There's something everything. Every, there's something different. Everything a day that he would bring, you know, that would, would make you smile. Carlton, Carlton was, was was definitely. If you looked in the dictionary of a character, he would definitely be it. So I'm going to go along with him. But like I said, I've, I've had a few in my time. Dean Saunders was a, a really funny character. Dean Gary Micklewhite, <laughs> Mick Harford, he was a character in his oh, own geez. way. Ted, Ted McMinn, he was a character. You know, even he go to Oggy. I remember the first day going to train, and Oggy's got a fag on outside <laughs> outside the training. Yeah, lots of characters. David Burrows, Brian Burrows, lots of characters. Oh, to, to be a fly on the wall in that dressing room, you know, in the mid to late nineties, I tell you what, I'd give good money for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you played away, um, who, who was your best roommate that you that you spent time with? I used to room with Dion. Oh, okay. Oh, that was yeah, Dion was was good. Um, Shawzy, I I room with a bit. Telf, Telf was me, me main room partner, and he, and he was, he was just weird. Telf, Telf again, <laughs> he would he never t- tell the same story twice, and like you, you wouldn't know if he was being serious or, or, or pulling your leg. So yeah, Telf, Telf was a, a really good room partner. Well, was, was, he, was he just watching golf all the time? Was it? No, Telf, Telf would stay. So, so at night for a game, I, I'd make sure I'd go to bed first because if Telf snored, I'd never know because I was sleeping. So. Um, <laughs> Um, no, Telfy to stay down, but he, he did have the golf on a lot of the time. I, I'll be one trying to look at Sky Sports, and he'd be putting putting on golf and telling me how good this shot was and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, this next one, you might not be able to answer properly without getting anyone anyone into trouble. So if you can't, don't worry about it. But what's your best story from a Christmas party for your career? Hmm. <laughs> um, I'm going to say that I can say it was, um, I remember doing the mile at um, Derby, it was called the miles. Yet, so we, we, I think we started in, when we started and we had, and there's a, a mile of a, a pubs you have to go to in Derby and, and I did, and we did every single pub um, <laughs> in fancy dress, but I, I didn't last very long that night. I was, I couldn't drink to be fair. So I think I, I was home quite early. What, what, what were you dressed as? No comment. <laughs> um, on the subject of the fancy dress, and I'm going to throw uh, Mr. Shaw and leave the buzz again here. Uh, he, he did tell us about uh, a, a certain Mr. Wheeler dressing up one one Christmas do in ladies' attire. But apparently, uh, he pulled it off as well. <laughs> you lot must have given Shaw some drink before he, he came on your <laughs> podcast. You know what loose lips do. You know that, don't you? <laughs> um, we'll, we'll move swiftly. On. We'll move swiftly. Yeah, thank on. you. Thank you. Um, Again, I think we've got an idea of this. Um, the best game, one-off game that you've ever played in? Um, for Coventry was when we beat Man United 3-2. What a that, game. What, what a that game. was a special game, that was. A special game. That was that was unbelievable. You know, to, to um, beat Man United on our own turf when we really needed a result, where mm. no one, no one, absolutely no one gave us a chance of, 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 of um, winning it. If, if I did a coupon, I'm sure... Man United would have been done ten times out of ten, and and again, credit to the, the fans that that day. That was that was an incredible whole day. That was, and you could tell by the celebrations afterwards what it meant to meant to us as a team. Yeah. Did that that goal from Huckabee? I still watch it probably five times a year now, and just yeah. still can't get still can't get over it. No, on and on again, and a great finish in the end. Brilliant. A, a weird thing. I don't know if this was like nationwide or not, but I remember Carlin put that as a on the beer mats in some of the pubs 
as a sort of still a tactics board with the zeros and the and yeah. The, yeah. Carlin did that goal on on a beer mat. I remember as a kid going to a social club and seeing it, and I got about five and took them home. Love to know where they are now. You got yourself uh, out of that, didn't you? Because you were <laughs> probably a young age, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was with my mum at a good disco. Rescue, good uh, rescue, good rescue, good rescue. Um, Paul, what's the, what's, it could be best or favourite ground that you played at. I, I think, um, and again, this has got to do a lot with um, growing up. I mean, brother Johnny's a Liverpool fan. And actually, you know, I'd seen on TV how many people had touched that sign. And uh, and the fact, and I remember the first time going there and getting a chance to, to, to walk under that tunnel and you get out there for kickoff and then people are singing, um, you'll never walk alone. And again, and I'm not name dropping, it's fortunate that like, I think it was one of Kenny Dalglish's um, last games. And, okay. and, and to be on there and the pitch, and like John Barnes was another hero of mine, to be on the same pitch as those people and, and be at Anfield, it, it was a special, special time. And it's a special stadium. Definitely. Did you get to touch the sign yourself? Yeah, I did. Every time I played there, I touched the sign. Yeah, I, I, I weren't sure if it would be something that uh, the Liverpool players would be a bit precious of, of like a whatever way the players touching it sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but I, I guess, you know, if you've got an affiliation to the club, I, I, if it was me, I, I, I'd definitely. Reach I've just seen a lot. I've just seen so many legends do it, you know. And and, and like I said, it's part of my, my own journey that, that I was lucky enough to to play at Anfield, and and, and I think that's part and parcel of, of the ceremony of, of the day, isn't it? To to touch the Anfield sign. Got it. Definitely. Um, now on to um, best goal that you've ever seen live. Now this could be your thunderbolt against Newcastle, uh, or has there been a goal against you that you thought, wow? Or, or you know, you, you stood the other end of the park and seen someone hit one, and you just thought, "What, what a goal!" Um, I, I, there's been a few. Um, after obviously when I finished playing, I seen Paul Scholes' volley against um, Aston Villa. Oh, again. But like, um, I think Tizzy's goal against us for Southampton at Highfield Road was a, yeah. was a special goal. It, 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 looked, it looked like it was from the halfway line. Yeah. yeah. Uh, were you on the pitch when Stevie Froggett scored against Everton? Yes. What a run and what a goal! And again, oh. someone I should mention. He, he's a he's a great lad, Froggy. He was he like personally when I, when I finished playing football, he was he was there for me. He's a he's a, he's a good man, Frog. But we've good mentioned player. this before, but I, I mentioned it again. I genuinely think without the injury with, with Nicky Summerby, Froggett goes on to play 30, 40 times for England because at that time England didn't have a left winger. No, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. He was flying froggy when he, when fortunate when he came to, um, came to Coventry. Yeah, hell of a player. Um, I think I think we know this one really, Paul. Um, but it could be two. It could be what Lane as well. But what's your favourite goal you've scored? Um, the one obviously against Newcastle, and I scored um, a volley in the FA Cup against um, Aston Villa at the baseball ground in a night game. Um, a volley that was that was. Um, a real good moment for me too. Nice. Always, always good against the Villa as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll definitely uh, get on YouTube for that one. Um, now, now, the next two questions are kind of my little, my favourites. You, you can see I'm wearing a retro shirt at the minute. I've got a little bit of a, a passion for, for football shirts. Uh, what's your favourite commentary kit that you wore? Uh, the light blue and white striped shirt. I like that one. Yeah, white, white shorts, blue yeah. socks. That was nice. Yeah, isn't that isn't that the one we got relegated in? Yeah, but it was a nice shirt. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah. Um, and and the worst 
we've had yellows and browns, haven't we? No, green, green, green. Was it green? Green stripes, green and black stripes. Oh, green and black stripes. And I'm pretty sure that that was the top double he made his debut when he scored at QPR. I remember that top. Yeah, he can keep that one. <laughs> See, I, I, I love the purple and yellow. So the purple and yellow pony one, and the um, the, the one that oh, was in my backdrop earlier, the uh, Lecoq Sportif one. That's two of my favourites. Um, what's the what's the best shirt that you've swapped with someone? I've got I've got many shirts that I've swapped. I don't want like people breaking into my house, so I'll. I'll but like I've got a lot of lot of really really top shirts. Yeah, it's it's and you've kept them as well because obviously we, when we spoke again to Richard Shaw the other night, we asked him and he goes, "I don't really keep them. I, I was never bothered about them." So no, you, I, I did. I kept keep my, Yeah, I've kept my shirts. Yeah. Uh, no. Last one, Paul. Before we go into your best eleven, um, what's the best initiation song you've, you've ever heard? Or it could even be yourself. I think if I was a player, I'd, I'd hate doing it. No, but that that's part that's part and part of, of you bonding. You know, um, you can you can make that extra percent ten one percent with your teammates if if you're brave enough to go and do it. Um, I think Jay Brothers weren't weren't too bad. I can't I can't remember I can't remember what he sung, but he, it, that one kind of sticks in my mind in terms of being brave and you know and showing off his skills. Jay Brothers, so obviously got a bit then in, in his locker, any singing. He has, yeah. He he, he wasn't shy. <laughs> That doesn't surprise me in the slightest yeah. that you say he wasn't shy. Um, that, that's that, that's brilliant. That really is. But I think we've got to the the, the nitty gritty and uh, and what we really like talking about um, here, which is your all time best eleven. You are listening to What's the Crack? Can I apologise to all teammates that have played me at Coventry before I start this, please? <laughs> of course you can. Of course you can. Not a problem okay. at all. Um, so your your best eleven are we uh, we going four four two? No, try and get a few more players in. I'm going four three three. Oh okay. nice, nice. Um, who's in the no, sticks? No, in fact, I'm not. I'm going. I'm going four four two actually. Okay, four four two. I've got twelve players written down here, but yeah, we'll go for four four two. I tell you what, Paul, because you, because you don't want to offend anyone, we'll give you your best eleven and we'll give you five subs. Oh, decent. That'll do then. <laughs> <laughs> um, who's in the sticks, Paul? Obviously, um, Oggy, Kirky, Kirky's a close second, but I've got to go for Mr. Coventry himself. Yeah, and what we touched earlier on his heroics in that day at um, White Hart Lane. Um, yeah. What, what a player! And I, I generally feel that if he was at another club, he would have got some England caps behind him. Yeah, he was. He was. Oggy's. Oggy's. Um, I met him when he obviously when he's, he's um, thirty nine, forty, but he he was he trained just as hard. He was. When he was when he was young and obviously you've got the fruits on a Saturday, he was very reliable in terms of how many saves he had, he had to make with me at centre back anyway. Is it true he did he did he loved the beer and a fag didn't he all the time? Yeah, when I first got there, I, I couldn't believe it. I had to double take, and then um, that soon got out of the way when Gordon Strachan got in charge. Oh, did, <laughs> did, did, did he did he knock it on the head? Did it? Yeah, he packed up. Fair play to Strachan. <laughs> yeah. Are we going yeah. right back? Is, is it the Rolls Royce rolling Nielsen? Yeah, without a doubt. And but like to be fair, a close second by Barn Burrows. He was underrated beyond beyond a lot of people's things. And um Telf's got to get a mention at right back also. But no, Roland Roland was was um he had all the attributes, every single one of them. Yeah, definitely I think we were spoiled as Cod fans. Although we kind of seen him towards um the back end of his career, you could still see um yeah. the 
the sheer class of him. And I think we touched on the Bramwell Lane game earlier. I think that was the only only time he made a mistake in the City shirt. Was yeah, he, exactly. He, he made a on that day. Yeah. And I, it, I think, again, that says a lot that, you know, we can pinpoint one mistake he made in his career. Yeah. <laughs> um, who's in the middle? Shawzy and Boosty. Wow. Again, yeah. with Shane Tanamaya. Nah, and and like not more than footballing matters. That they're, they're two two um, really eventual guys in terms of um, me having a really good career on and off the pitch. So yeah, they they play a massive part in 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 my journey in football. So they warrant that position. Who are we going left back? Um, oh, what am I doing? I'm going. I've got two. I've got Brown Burrows. No, um, no, David Burrows or Marcus Hall. Um, Can't pick between them. No, I'm going to go Bugsy. Bugsy. David Burrows. He, he was he was a good left back and and, and a funny lad in the change room. Even though Marcus will be mad at me, but now Bugsy was a <laughs> he was a good lad. He was. He used to was give it? me a lift in the mornings too when we lived in Solly. Also, I better mention him. <laughs> it, it's funny you should say that. Um, you've repaid the favour to to uh, to Shazza because he had you in his side and he also had Bugsy as well. Did he? Oh, yeah, he did, he? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that says a lot about um, what he did as a player. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, right wing, Paul. To squeeze him in is hookers. Yeah, that's what I write in my mind. Yeah, hookers, hookers, hookers will do a job on the right for you. But if, again, like yeah. you don't need no explanation. He he's, he was a legend. If we say oh. clean sweep, it's because me and Neil both had the same player in our all-time eleven, and yeah. Hook with a clean sweep, we both had yeah. it in ours. Yeah. Both, uh, what yeah. a player! Uh, yeah. I, I, I touched earlier about my little um, weird obsession with, with Darren. Um, yeah. yeah, just just what he was the first player for me. Cause I I first my first game was George Graham's first game for Leeds. Uh, Leeds at Highfield Road, one two one. So I didn't really see much of Peter and Love. Or John Salako, the, the excitable players. Hawks yeah. was the first player really that got that excited me. That got me on the edge of my seat watching the game. So yeah. I think he, 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 what a player. He could do that. He could. He could do that. Definitely. Who be going in the middle? Boateng. Wow. Clean yeah, sweep he, for me. I had Boateng. He's he's a he he was a, he's a very good player. He he kind of did did two men's job in midfield, George. So again, he he was he was fantastic for us at Cobb. So um, George obviously gets in there. What, what yeah. was he like as a person, Botang? <laughs> well, when he started, he was God fearing, and when he left, he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's class. I, I, I don't know if that says more about the dressing room than it does about him. I think it does. I think it does. <laughs> uh, who, who's who's he doing the running for? For Guy McAllister. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Yeah, Macca's um, obviously what he had. What he had in terms of technical ability and understanding of the game was was second to none. So he was a very close second to to because I was going to put Chippo in there, but um, Macca just for his his free kicks and his leadership um, gets the job. Is he the best player you've ever played with? Um, one of I think Dion's up there, and again, fortunately with the twenty ones, I played with um, Alan Shearer. So um, yeah. He actually goes, and so saying that, going back to Derby, Peter Shilton, Mark Wright, you know, before the yeah. uh, '98 World Cup, you know, being in a team with those, Mick Harford, Dean Saunders, Paul Goddard. Sorry, there's loads, loads. Oh, of, to be fair, it's so, a good job you are already doing a commentary level. Yeah, tell me about it. That I was fortunate <laughs> to, to be on it, the same pitch it, as so. 
Even Gaza mentioned from the testimonial you played with Gaza, oh, didn't you? Yeah, I was, yeah. Yeah. Um, left-hand side, who's going on the left for you, Paul? Froggy's going to go mental, but Hadji gets the left-wing berth, but Froggy's again, is a close second. Um, again, there's not much between them, because in a different way, Hadji was, was more of an entertaining, but Froggy was, like I say, he was flying and, and got his England cap um, with us at Coventry. Like, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, I know Dion was, was in the England squad, but Froggy, Froggy was a name that, that probably wasn't, um, used to be in the England squad, but he, he, he fair and squarely broke into that squad and, and, um, and like you said, until the injury curtailed him. But um, no, he's a close second, but Hadji was an entertainer, so he gets yeah. left wing. Uh, do, 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 you think, do you think Fogg would have gone on to a, a big a big six club at the time if he if he? I think, I think yeah, I think generally think that, um, again, he, with, with the way the club was also, I think someone would want him in long for someone picked him up yeah. And, yeah. And, and took him back up, up, up the league, you know, a, a top eight team. To... Yeah, I, uh, I agree. Obviously, up front, Paul, I'm guessing first one of them is going to be Dion, isn't it? Yeah, Dion's a captain too. Yeah, Dion's definitely, and he, he was a, he was a, like very similar to Gary McAllister. He had he was someone that, that everyone looked up to in the, in the dressing room. So Dion Dion goes without saying, and like you know, obviously he, everyone knows that he's a, a really nice man too. So um, Dion gets that berth. Just before your last one, talking to Dion, what do you make of him when Holmes another hammer? I just slaughter him every time I see him. <laughs> I won't I won't trust him in my house. <laughs> sell my house. But now Dion like all credit to him, you know, he just shows a person is that he's got transferable skills and you know he's yeah. comfortable on the pitch and he's comfortable on, on television, um football focus, uh, match of the day and and also has under the hammer. You, you mentioned transferable skills with Dion. Um did you ever play at the back with him? Yeah. He uh-huh. was he was he was adept to that, you know, he he could head the ball, he read the game. Well, Dion, Dion was was like I say, he, he's very transferable, and, and like you say, it shows the professional that, that, that he is. I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you said it because obviously you, you've mentioned yourself you've gone four four two to, to get players in. I went three five two, and I doubled centre back because I couldn't leave him out my team, but I didn't want to put him up front. But yeah. I, I got so much stick for it, but he could do a job centre back. That's why you got the brains. That's it. Exactly. I should have done that. Gone through <laughs> the back. So do you know how else gave him stick though, Paul? Go on. Shots are giving him stick as well. Uh, what's he like? <laughs> Tell you what, you, I want to know what you you gave him before, mate. Because Shazza ain't giving no one a stick. I don't know what um, you gave him before before mate, you got Shazza was bang on. You know what? He's a good bloke. I, I, I must say, we ended up speaking to him for three hours in the yeah. end. Time flew, and the best thing about me is he, he just he had so much banter for Dave the, the, yeah. the whole way through. <laughs> to be fair, you know, you can see Dave on the camera. You can understand why. No, but that's uh, why. That's why. That's what Shaz used to do in the changing at Cobb. Seriously, he would Shaz would throw grenades left, right, and centre. <laughs> no, no one would know where they came from. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. I haven't spoken to him. Um, and the, the, the final striker. You don't go from Coventry to, to, to Inter Milan. That, and, and I remember um, Robbie Keane um, speaking to him a week, a week after his move. And he, and he says, you don't know who my no, uh, next door neighbour is? I says, no, who is it? And he goes, Ronaldo. And so I put wow. the phone down. Jesus Christ. So I put the phone Obviously, down. Obviously, the Ronaldo as well, R9. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I put, so I put the phone down. You don't want to speak to me now, mate. You don't want to speak to me. <laughs> so stop wasting your time, mate. Yeah, no, go, exactly. on. go on. Go, go, go and see what your next door neighbour's up to, mate. <laughs> um, who's on your bench, Paul? You, you got five subs. 
Um, no Whelan. We're feeling generous tonight. We no Whelan. Peter and Love, again, I think he, he deserves a lot of credit. Nuddy came in and he was... He was, you know, he's a Coventry legend when when I got there, and you could see why in the, in the games and the time that I spent there, he he was very very good. Do, 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 do you still talk to him, love? Yeah, I speak. His son's playing at Bra- is it Brackley's son? Yeah, his son. Brackley, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I I catch him sometimes. I don't speak to him very often. He's had a tough tough few years a bit ago, didn't he? But um, no, he, he's I speak to him when I can. Frog, frog is in it. It's very, Kirk, it's Kirk, a, is, Kirk is Kirk is in it. Kirk is making it as well. I was gonna say yeah. that's a very very attacking bench that you've got though. <laughs> that's all yeah, that's all we've got. That's it. and Marcus Orr was the other one, yeah. Marcus uh, had to get a say. Uh, uh, and I'm guessing that Gordon Strachan's gonna be the manager. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and I know um we got relegated under him, but he he's a special man. And again, I keep talking about being fortunate that that he he was he was everything that my career needed when when I was leaving Derby. You know, you, I, I had a manager that that um, was a father f- father figure for me. And then I get I get Ron Atkinson who again played his part in terms of development. But but, but Gordon Strachan really drew a line in my career and said, "This is this is what a professional footballer acts like and, and works like." And you know, I remember going in there the first day saying, "In turn us turn the whole squad that we're not going to get any better watching neighbours." <laughs> when we could be out working and changing and also like you know little things like um going to Southampton and I remember um whether he said it or not but on the front of the, the local paper because we there was a bit of a drinking squad at Southampton when we first got there yeah is that, that anyone sees my players out out please ring this number on a Sunday night or a day before a game and, th- and th- that's the levels that, that that he goes to and not only that he wanted to be, he wanted the best for you to be a fresh, he wanted you to be, be become a better person also. And he was not only a coach to me, he was, he was a kind of mentor role that like, I didn't really want to let him down anything I did. So, um, you still uh, mates now? 100%. We speak, um, probably once a month. I yeah. still speak to all, even Tony Poos, I still speak to all, all my managers. I've been fortunate to go on with him. Like I said, I spoke to, spoke to Ron Atkinson last week and again, phone for half an hour, making me laugh. Because I saw on BT Sports, his Man United team were um, in the semi-final against Liverpool. And I said, um, Gaffer, that's a half-decent team now. He said, yeah, that would probably win the Premier League, that team he had at Man United. Yeah. He would. Uh, I just want to touch on Big Ron for a second. Obviously, when we spoke to Shaws again, um, Shaws made a point of saying Big Ron's not racist. Obviously, he got in trouble, didn't he, with, with what he said. But Shaw came out and said, I, I can honestly say I don't think he's racist. Obviously, I'm guessing you would agree with that because you, you got on with him really well. 100%. Ron, Ron um, and again, I can't defend him in terms of what, what he said and what he did, but like it, you have to be careful when you where you're actually calling someone a racist because I think the connotation of a racist is, is not, not a person that, that has... Um, Brendan Batson, Laurie Cunningham, and Cyril Regis in his team at West Brom, where he's so easy to go, and he doesn't, he doesn't. Um, me again, my relationship was wrong was different from from many of the football teams. We we would go to football games in the afternoon together. Like I remember going to Derby, seeing Jim Smith, and sitting in the office till seven o'clock with him. Um, we'd meet at Jefferson's in in Birmingham and Solihull, and um, we'd talk and have a few drinks and sit and and talk about football. And we used to call we used to call the broom cupboard our Coventry um, trophy cabinet because there's nothing because <laughs> there's nothing in there. But no, he, he was he was a large and life character, and 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 
and I remember um, him going through, and I, I did a bit in the newspaper saying, if he's a if he's a racist, I'm a white man, because yeah. category not not a racist, because his track record says he's not. Likes of Remy Moses and all those people that he, he's had through his career, and not not one has a bad word to say against him. But again, it, it, it's been a culture that, that's been around football for a long time. It, sometimes it's hard for, for people um, subconsciously to, to um, forget that. Hundred uh, percent, and I think it speaks volumes about the man. The amount of people that do come out and not not defend him, but kind of give him that character reference, as it were. Yeah, one hundred percent. 100%. Paul, thank you so much for your time, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, nah, it's been fantastic. Thank thank you, honestly, too. It's, it's, it's good reminiscing and, and actually, you know, you bring up the emotions of, of, of your time at a club that you're fond of. And, and sometimes it's good just to remember and it's very grounding to remember the times it didn't go so well at times and how you've dug deep and, and that. And like I say, t- to all the Coventry fans, it's just, I'm just, I look out for Coventry a lot and it's just sad to see. What, and it's brilliant that they're in the Championship, but like, you know, there's nothing like having the Highford Road or, or Rico Arena that you can, you can make your own and, and have it. And again, there's only one, one, one set, of, set of people that suffer and that's the fans. And they've had it tough over the years. So um, hopefully something can get sorted out and, and you can get, get um, ourselves a ground and, and, and a fortress again like we did at Highfield Road. Amen. That's absolutely perfect, mate. And thank you. I think Neil was had the same for some of the best childhood memories ever over that that goal against Newcastle. I'll never forget it, mate. So thank you yeah. for that as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. Nah, really yeah, appreciate it. All the Cheers. Best. What's the Crack Podcast? Proudly sponsored by JMR Property Maintenance. From rewires to extension builds, JMR have it covered. Contact them today for a free, no obligations quote.